basically say anything that's an excellent way to start the episode. Well, just not talk at all? We should just not <gasps> yeah, talk to each other? Talk and, yeah. Weird silence. <laughs> Awkward Let's silences. keep talking about how tired we are. Oh, I'm fine, man. I slept till like noon today, so I'm good to go. Yeah, buddy. No matter how awkward we get this week, I don't think we can get anywhere near the uh, level of awkwardness and creepiness we had last week. Why, guys? What happened last week? <laughs> oh, was it was that Brianna we were talking to, not Christy? No, I just don't understand. I don't see it as awkward or terrifying <laughs> or Mark implying that I should probably die to promote the podcast. I didn't say should die. I said might die, therefore will hop the podcast. <laughs> I noticed you got my mother into giving me shit for it. <laughs> I didn't get your mother into anything. That was of her own free will. Oh, okay. I didn't yeah. know if you guys were messaging back and forth together still, no. so I don't know. She did that because she felt bad for me, because rightly so. Because her son was being a <laughs> dick bag. He was yeah. being a dick bag. I mean, like, listeners, okay, okay, so you if you haven't listened to last week's episode, you should, because some creepy shit happened, but um, I don't know if you also saw that on our, uh, on our post from this week, Mr. Mark decided it would be really fun to promote the idea that me being dead would help promote the podcast, and guess what? It did, apparently, because we're up for, you know, our reach is higher than it has been in a while. <laughs> we have uh, we have above 200 likes now, and uh, some of them aren't even from the Southeast Asia area. So yeah, I think we're doing pretty good. Yeah. Okay. But like, so Christy, I just your can't... potential, your potential death, maybe helping the podcast. You just want me to get kidnapped. I don't want. I don't want you to get kidnapped. I'm trying to look on the the sunny side of things, like the yeah, silver lining. That, you know that that Gone Girl bump. Exactly. I don't want to be a Gone Girl. I don't want to be a girl who is gone. <laughs> I don't want Ben Affleck in my life regularly. Well, he's not going to be in the Batman's life either soon, so there you go. No, he's still in it as an actor. No, he's not directing. It's fine. Welcome to Dance Robot Dance, everybody. This is episode 29. Uh, I'm Mark. I'll be your host tonight. Uh, the regular crew is here this week, so say hello to Christy. Hi. And Tim. Hey! Uh, yeah, so we don't really have any news this week because we're going to do a longer episode on the main thing. So we're going to stop right into Geek of the Week. Uh, Christy's looking at the wall in a funny way, <laughs> making creepy faces. Now she's which is now staring creepily at the camera. Now she's screen grabbed, so there you oh, go. Cough. <laughs> <laughs> Christy, why don't you start us off? What was the geekiest thing you did this week? Um, I went to a storytelling event last night. Um, and told a story about my youth. About your youth? Yeah, my one um, kind of lesbian experience. Okay. Yeah. It was about, uh, it's called Mermaids. And it's about um, a girl I was in high school with who I adored. And um, she and I went skinny dipping. Um, she convinced me to go skinny dipping. I was very awkward about it. And then um, I won't tell the rest of the story because it's really good. But maybe one day I'll tell it on the podcast for real, real, not for play, play. Just for real, real, not for play, play. 
Yes, but it was so nice because, like, I've been wanting to do storytelling for a really long time. Um, I'm not sure if you guys ever knew that I liked telling stories. I'm not sure that's a thing that's come up. But um, never, never would have guessed well, that. No. Um, but uh, no, I just um, it was it was really really fun, and everybody was like super supportive, and it was so cool just to like um, hear people's really like everybody has these crazy lives that you would never expect just looking at them. Like one guy ended up in a Guatemalan prison, and like excuse me, just told us about his Guatemalan prison experience. And how his wife was at home, like, pregnant. And how she lost the baby from the stress of him being in a Guatemalan prison. And he just, like, said this all, like, really chill. He was like, I don't even know. You know, it's funny how sometimes life ends you up in a Guatemalan prison. And I was like, that doesn't happen! (laughs) It's not funny! Apparently it does happen, though, because it happened to him. him. Yeah. But it was just like, it's funny how life, sometimes you end up in a Guatemalan... I was like, that doesn't... That's not funny! It's not funny. Like, what, what is wrong with no blood? That's a reference. <laughs> Were the stories supposed to be funny though? Like, no, not all of them had to be. One guy told a story about how he had to slaughter his pet chicken um, named oh. Esmeralda. <laughs> And Jesus Christ! He and his brother were so afraid that the um, chicken's like body would keep walking around that they tied her up on like a pulley system that they'd come up with together, and they were like fourteen and twelve. And um, the guy like was so upset he missed the first time to chop her head off, and then he like chopped and he got it, but because they hadn't had a counterweight on the pulley, the chicken body like shot like a boomerang and like a. <laughs> Like, uh, what's it called? Um, anyway. The trebuchet or something? Well, no, it, it a like... catapult? A catapult, not a catapult, because it came back. Like, an elastic. <laughs> like a boomerang? Like, like a, a boomerang? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> and, like, it showered them both in blood and, like, <laughs> viscera. <laughs> so, like, not only were they killing their pet, but they were bathed in her blood. <laughs> Jesus. And he was like, I was bathed that day in the blood of murder. <laughs> it was just like, it was so awesome. <laughs> like this, oh Damn. God. Oh, it was so funny. And just everybody was so good and so supportive. And I got like six, or not six, I got like, you know, a number of messages when I got home from strangers just being like, hey, I saw you perform tonight and I really loved your story. And it was just, it was super nice. So that was my geekiest thing. Just But but your underpants were too were too sexy. Was that? Did the strangers also say that? I hate you. <laughs> um, I think you should tell the underpants story at your next thing. Maybe, but it has no conclusion. I don't want it to have Wait, a conclusion. Maybe I'll go to this thing next time and I'll have a conclusion because you'll have been kidnapped. That's then. a horrible thing. You keep joking, but it's going to happen. You joke and you um, joke and you joke. don't want it to happen. No, we don't want it to happen, but then like stop joking about it. Well, maybe you should take it seriously then. And I do. I have to use my humor to moving mask the on. fear. Yes. <laughs> nice. Uh, moving on, Tim. Geekiest thing you did this week? Um, I was traveling for working on this week, and I was in Columbus, Ohio, and I got to. Uh, I mean, I had a night to myself, and so I went and found a game bar up there. G A M E. That, I, wouldn't have uh, judged. I don't think anybody here would have judged otherwise. Yeah, but it wouldn't be very geeky. Um, well, I mean, it could have been. It could have been, like, kinky. 
<laughs> Everyone could have uh, been dressed up in Mario outfits. Oh, so, so yeah, it was this it was this game bar called a uh, 16-bit, and uh, they had probably 25 or 30 old uh, cabinets. <laughs> that still sounds um, like a gay bar name, <laughs> 16-bit. <laughs> Uh, and all the games Wait, were set to what? <laughs> what were the games set up like? The the games were all set to free play, so basically you just went in and got your drink, and then you could just play whatever as much as you wanted. That's awesome. Cool. So you didn't have to be pumping quarters in. Like, there was pinball machines you had to uh, put, pay to play, but everything else was just free play, and they had, like, big screen TVs set up and stuff like that with, like, uh, you know, old, like, Genesis and N64s and stuff like that hooked up to them as well, so... Yeah, it's fun. I killed a good two or three hours in there just fucking around on old video games and shit. Like, and they had like good like old ones, like fucking like Dig Dug, and they had I a love fucking, Dig Dug. They had a fucking Tron machine. That's the first time I've ever seen a Tron machine in real life. Rad. That's cool. Um, and yeah, like a uh, original like Mario Brothers, like the sewer. Uh, what else? Fucking Cubert and Paperboy and. Of course, like all the old like fighting games, like they had, I think MK3 and uh, Street Fighter 2, and yeah, this was really good. Nice. All right, my uh, my geekiest thing is uh, I'm going stir crazy at the house now that I'm just freelancing again. Um, so I finished the Batman Arkham games today, actually. So I just played all three of them. <laughs> that was yeah. so fast. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those aren't small games. No, they're not. They uh, and I do like hundred percent runs. Like I do all oh the rhythm trophies. Oh my god! Yeah, me too. So, that's that's how I play games too. Yeah, to especially those games. I have to. Well, you got to get the fucking Riddler. He needs to go to jail. God damn it! And then the, the <laughs> third one, you got to beat the shit out of him too when you finally catch him. Finally, this time you actually grab him in the last one. So I was like, I'm getting that motherfucker this time. So <laughs> yeah, I, I collected how many? It's like 243 in in night. 440 in city Oof. and 200 and change or 240 or something like that in Arkham Asylum, but I got all of them. Uh, I hate Yikes. my life. That was, that's, <laughs> that's, that, that definitely like adds to the, the length though, but I was oh, very yeah. like strategic about the way I played it so that I maximized my time with the Joker in the third one. So yeah, it's uh yeah, I love that. I don't know why people shit on that third one so much. I know cause of the Batmobile, but I love that third, that third game. It's so pretty. I've never played it. Have you never played? Have you played any of them? I played Asylum for a bit, and I really liked it. But it's one of those games that when you put down, um, having to remember how to do all the moves is a big learning curve again. Um, and I just, I it, it was really good, but it was like so open worldy. I like my stories a little more linear. Isn't Mass Effect like super broadly like? Kind yes, of open but world? it's great. <laughs> okay, so. I think I'm going to have to start harping on you to play the Asylum. The, the okay, Arkham but games. only if you actually play Mass Effect, bitch. Uh, fair enough. Oh, I've got time now. I've done the Asylum games or the, the Arkham games, so I can start playing Mass Effect whenever I want. I'll tell you what. You get through Mass Effect 1, and I'll play the Arkham games. Yes, ma'am. And I'm not talking like a 30-hour run of Mass Effect. You get all that shit done. Get all that shit done? Are you going to 100% three Arkham games? No. <laughs> <laughs> then you're not playing them right. Batman puts everybody away, motherfucker. Yeah. I will. I will play them though, because I really, I do love those games. They're actually some of my favorite Batman-like renditions. It's actually, it's probably my favorite uh, Batman-like thing. Media. 
yeah thing like it's so much fun to do like all that batman stuff and like it's got the voice actors that i like the best and stuff like that and like it's also cool to be the Batman. Yeah, exactly. It's also well. I think we talked about it in our video game episode where like it's like it's like being it's a Batman simulator. Like you get to do yeah. everything Batman does, and it's like this is fucking awesome. It's been like thirty hours or well twenty hours probably in, in Asylum because it's not that long a game. But like in City and Night, it's thirty thirty hour slogs through to get through the. That's uh, it. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was like 60, 70 hours. No, 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 no. no. You're the only <laughs> one that plays those fucking games. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because I like immersive environments. It is an immersive environment. I know. I'm just like I'm just saying. Like, Thirty hours is not a like but a short game for an action game. No. It's I'm an like immersive Jones city, and... not yeah. an immersive I'm... galaxy. Yeah, I'm like yeah. Jones to play Witcher right now, but I'm here podcasting with you guys. But like, I got the shakes. Really? <laughs> yeah, I'm in a new DLC, and all of it just got to a cool part, and I was like, I'm gonna make dinner before the podcast. <laughs> first, and then, first. And then... And then you realized that you hadn't actually looked up what you were supposed to look up for this week? Yeah. No, I did. I did it. I did it. No, but like an hour and a half ago. Yeah, yeah but... but I mean, I'm not I'm not as like hardcore about it as you guys are. That's true. Like yeah. I'm if this was an episode where it was based off my favorite favorite things. Like if it was a list of my favorite mana then I would be hard pressed to do that. It would take me days. But it's supposed to be your favorite. But it's not really. That's a totally different. But our topic thing. is not your biggest thing. No. All right. It's not my penis. <laughs> cool story. Well, that's that's a pretty good. Uh, I think that's a pretty good intro. That's a pretty good intro. So this week, um, we're gonna do. We're gonna continue our favorite album series. Um, so I got the guys to go back and do six through ten or ten through six, I guess, mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah. Um, so before we get started, um, I want to note, like, because I didn't last time at the top of the episode, and we went through <laughs> the whole thing, and then I think a couple of our listeners got a little confused. Um, <laughs> this is all super subjective and totally our personal opinion. Like these are our favorite records. Um, so also, if you want to go back to episode nineteen and listen to our top five, that's there too for you to listen to. I thought we could quickly. Um, go through and list off our, our top five. Do you remember Love Christy or do I I have your list here if you want? Oh You want me to post it for you? <laughs> no, I, I remember them. Alright. You, you want to do your top five? Do you want me to do it right now? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Imogen Heap. Um Oh God. Speak no, for you yourself. guys go first. You guys go first. You want me to All post right. it for you? No, no, okay. I don't want you to post it for me. I want to remember on my own. I just need to like <laughs> No, you know what it is? I'm just tired, and I'm not very good with names of albums, but if you play me, like, a song from them, I'll know what album it's from. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I remember how confused I got with Plans and Transatlanticism? No. I, I was like, which one has Transatlanticism? <laughs> 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 no, guys, which one has it? You were saying someone else do theirs first. All right. Well, I'll do mine first, and then while well, the other guys look theirs up or try to remember them, like Christine's oh, trying to mine. remember it. Oh, do you I'm have yours? Trying, I'm yeah. remembering. All right, Tim, go ahead. Uh, my number five was uh, Radiohead's OK Computer. Uh, my number four was uh, Funeral by Arcade Fire. My number three was uh, Smile by the Beach Boys, which was the version that was released in 2011. My number two was uh, Daft Punk's Random Access Memories. And my number one was Pinkerton by Weezer. 
Awesome. Christy, do you have yours yet? No. <laughs> All right. I'm my really number... tired. I wouldn't remember this. I'm upset. My number five. <laughs> my number five was Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction. Uh, my number four was the Deftones' White Pony. Uh, my number three was the Matthew Good Band's Underdogs. And my number two was Pearl Jam's 10. And my number one is U2's Octung Baby. Oh, I do remember how much you loved Octung You are correct, Mark. Yes. Since I <laughs> copied and pasted this out of the same list I used for that one, it should be the same information. <laughs> In theory. Unless Google, Google Docs is starting to change my bullshit while I'm not looking at it. Christy, can can you find yours? Because they're no. Because the they're if you look in the Zencaster. Oh, thanks, guys. <laughs> no, I was right. Okay, yeah. No, I had this. I had this right in my head. I just didn't want to fuck it up and be embarrassed. But it's probably more embarrassing. Than I was like, I don't even know my favorite albums. That is pretty no. embarrassing, actually. No, okay, no. I, I, like I said, I could name you off the the list of the artists in order, but anyway, anyway. Sorry, listeners. I'm into musicals a lot. <laughs> like a lot if you were like what's your top five musicals I'd be like oh, how dare you ask me that question we'll, we'll um, do that someday when we can get Eric yay, back on yay Eric come back also also in, in the post Mark suicide episode because yeah uh, <laughs> in the episode yeah that, that'll be like when Mark's on vacation or something yeah if Mark needs to take a week off you guys can do that episode mm-hmm. or you can just sit through it like I sit through your comic book stuff every week you enjoy that shit that's bullshit. You enjoy I it. I do enjoy blah. it, but I kind of go like blah once in a while. <laughs> now, that's how we feel when you start talking about fucking uh, the King Killer Chronicles. If I you deserve. read them, you wouldn't feel that way. <laughs> Maybe if you read the comics, you wouldn't get all so blah. So my top stuff. five albums. Number five <laughs> is Image and Heap Speak for Yourself. Number four is Mother Mother, Oh My Heart. Number three was Queen Greatest Hits. I can choose, I can't choose which was my favorite out of the Queen ones, so I chose their greatest hits. I think we forced you, you to choose on the episode. I just can't remember exactly what um, you said. I think she picked a live album when we made her choose. Yes, she yeah, well, no, she, really she originally came to us with the live album, and then she said the greatest hits in the Zencaster after. Oh, and right. We were, on the episode, we were like, you have to pick one. She shamed me. You shamed <laughs> me. shamed you into picking an actual anyway. Uh, my number two album was Death Cab for Cutie Transatlanticism. No, that's not right. My number one, my number two album was Krista Berg Spanish Train and Other Stories, and my no, number no. one was Death Cab for Cutie. No. If it was in the, if it was, if I'm wrong about that, then I got it wrong in the episode because that's not okay. Oh, okay. Because not funny true story. to me. Uh, I listened to the episode like a couple days ago, and yeah. you did it. Well, you did have Krista Berg at number one. You did. Oh, you man. definitely had it as your number one. Oh, it must have been my nostalgia it's, speaking. It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't. Uh, wasn't your crying behind a dumpster death cab for cutie album? Yes. Oh, thanks for remembering, guys. <laughs> that was a funny story, actually. Oh. When I listened James. back to it, oh, I, I laughed really hard at that story. Oh, I'm so glad you laughed at my horrible, horrible pain. <laughs> That's kind of what I do, isn't it? I know. Why do I share these things with you? <laughs> these are like my most intimate, sad, like moments of my life and you... you love the attention yeah it's no. not even like we prompt you to share them either you just kind of like just start going off and we're like this is an awesome story yeah i don't know why Let's she's telling it to us it. because yeah. we're gonna make fun of her after but she keeps talking i share it because i don't know why but i like and trust you oh 
I've made huge mistakes. We love you too, Christy. Immediately regret this decision. Exactly. (laughs) Curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal. Curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal. Wrong lover. Anyway. Um, So let's get started. Um, So number 10. Tim, do you want to start us off? Sure. My number 10, this is the one that I uh, sort of agonize the most about um, and probably doesn't deserve to be where it is on my list just based on sort of creative value alone, but because of the personal significance to me, it ended up my top 10. Uh, and it's the uh, it's Hot Fuss by The Killers from 2000. Oh, that almost made it in my top 10! Yeah. I mean... And I'm going to go even more specific and say that uh, the ideal version of this album for me is the uh, the UK version that has the bonus track, um, Indie Rock and Roll. Have you guys heard that track? Yes. Yeah. I think the version I have of that album has that on it. Yeah. Because for me, like that song, like perfectly describes that whole album and that like it's it's an album full of like indie rock anthems and just like really great pop songs. Mm-hmm. It's so uh, good. Yeah, it's really great. It, uh, I mean, it kicks off really strong with um, Jenny was a friend of mine and then goes right into Mr. Brightside. And I've got a lot of good memories of this whole album of just like drunken fucking nights with friends, like uh, going to um, I listened to this album a lot the year that I worked at Disney World um, because it came out in like uh, what? the summer of 2004 and i started working at disney world in december of that year and so we listened to it a lot when we were like going to uh pleasure island the like little club district in downtown disney which we did like once a week nice um yeah and uh let's see what else i have to say about it i mean it's just it's an album that's just really well very well arranged and very well produced um I, th- I have a feeling that somebody told me is gonna end up being like sort of a defining song for that like gener that sort of generation that was you know in like their late teens at that time, like it's gonna be like this sort of song that like let's say Basket Case was for our generation or something like that. Right, right, yeah. Somebody told me yeah, like, that you had a boy. Actually, that would be Chrissy's age group because she's yeah that much. <laughs> Yeah, like that that was a huge huge hit. Yeah. I remember there was like questions for a while in my high school anyway, so you know the world about um whether or not the killers would be bigger than Modest Mouse. Really? Yeah. Remember Modest Mouse? Oh yes. yeah, I love Modest Mouse. Yeah. Um Yeah. Cuz they had albums coming out around the similar same time, maybe within yeah, like really 6 months of each other. Too. And they were both really strong and like both kind of similar sounds. Like Modest Mouse was more electronic, but um, yeah. Well, it was, yeah. it was just anyway. more. They they bend a little more towards like the sort of indie pavement kind of stuff. Um, and this, Mouse? Yeah, this is, this, yeah, where kill, Killers is more like glam rock indie kind of stuff. Um, yeah, like David Bowie. Was... If he was in the two thousands. Yeah. It's 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 really like I've never really been able to figure them out like as a band like the lead singer's Mormon or whatever they're all Mormon or it's just yeah I don't really get that part of it but it's just a really fucking great album it's really good for like karaoke and sing like drunken sing-alongs and stuff like that like you get a room full of drunken people sing along to all these things that I've done and like the 
I got soul, but I'm not, I'm not a, soul. a soldier. Yeah. I got soul, but oh. I'm not a soldier. It's, yeah, and it's got a really great, like, just slow build, and a lot of there's a lot of that on the album. Like, it sort of really slowly builds to a really great crescendo kind of thing. Um, and it does like have some down tempo songs, like uh, like Believe Me, Natalie, uh, that or uh, Change My Mind, Change Your Mind, whatever it's called, that uh, sort of break it up a little bit. Um, but it's at number ten rather than being higher on the list because there's one or two songs that I'm not really big on. Like um, there's one Andy, You're a Star, that just is kind of a throwaway for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I said, it sort of edges out some maybe more creatively stronger albums because. Like this, I, I really strongly associate it with like that the time around the time that it came out, and uh, I listened to it a lot then, and had a lot of good memories with friends uh, in it. Not only then, but in the like the like ten years afterwards as well. Hmm. True. So yeah, that's my number ten. Cool, cool, Christy. Number five. You mean number ten? Number ten. <laughs> it's too early to lose track. My number 10 was uh, Mumford & Sons' Sign No More. Not very familiar with that album. Really? I, I mean, I know who Mumford & Sons are, generally. Oh. Well, this was like the... How I heard about it was when I listened to Little Lion Man. Um, it was the uh, song for a show I was in called Man Beast Tango. And um, they started playing it back... Oh, it had to be like 2000... When did this come out? Um... The album itself came out in uh, 2009, so I think I heard it then, but um, just like it's, it was like the precursor to um, that kind of like folk, rocky, indie sound, you know, like they, with their banjos and their fiddles and just like, they had some beautifully acoustic um, songs like Sigh No More. Um, is uh, just this stunning like acoustic at the beginning of the album, and it just draws you, and it's like it's like listening to a dream, and like it tells a bit of a story as it goes through the album, um, which I really like, and um, it's just I find with Mumford and Sons, one thing I really like about them is their their lyrics and their melodies are so easy to just kind of they're like butter on your ears. They're just, you know, really smooth and like um, when when they're up, you know, when they're upbeat, all you want to do is dance. But when they're melodic and slow, it just kind of like almost feels like it's the rhythm of your heart. Like it matches the, the internal rhythm of your heart. So it's just very, very beautiful, like great music and their lyrics are great. Um, some of the stuff you might know from the album, um, some of the songs are um, The Cave, maybe, uh, actually, Little Lion Man was the biggest one from that one. Um, yeah, I know I've heard some of the stuff off it. Um, like, what, would, what would be the one song you would pick off of it, Christy? Like, oh, probably Sign No More or The Cave. Okay. Um, or Awake My Soul. Like, I loved Little Lion Man, but after I listened to the rest of the album, it was uh, probably one of those three. Cool. What would um, you pick? Do you know it, Mark? I do. I don't like it that much. Really? <laughs> yeah. I'm not too big on the like fo- indie folk kind of stuff too. Like this, this part of it is that this 
this is my black spot in music like from the last uh 10 years or 15 years or so is like because this is right around when i started grad school and i was not actively mm. going out and finding new music much and not hearing a lot of new music much like i know i've heard a couple of the singles and stuff and i like some of mumford and sons but it's the sort of thing where they it's sort of the one of the things that i have against pearl jam as well is this started a movement that i got sick of really quickly yeah. oh and pearl jam did the same thing <laughs> Like with the three day theory of the nickel creed shit. Oh, okay. I was gonna say Nirvana started that movement. Are you talking about? Oh, you're no, not about not grunge. Yeah, more like the harder, like sort of uh, alt rock kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Mumford and Sons is one of those bands that like I remember people getting into, and I kept trying to like get into it. But this is like, like when when did they really start coming around? Like late, like two thousand seven. Yeah, that was when I was really starting to get back into like the heavier like. That was when I started getting into ISIS and Pelican and like that. You kind were of an stuff. ISIS. Uh, no, the band ISIS. Now Mark's gonna um, get waterboarded. Yeah, no, I'm gonna get. No, I'm in Canada. I can't get waterboarded up here, buddy. Yet. Um, you're associating with somebody who likes ISIS, though, Tim. So you might want to be careful now. <laughs> yeah. NSA, if you're listening, I denounce this conversation. Holy. I agree. Especially since we're just talking about ISIS the band. So yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, that was when I started getting into that kind of stuff. So like mm-hmm. that whole softer kind of like touchy-feely indie, indie folk pop stuff was just like, I was like, I can't. It's too, I don't know. It sounds like they're singing directly to women's vaginas <laughs> to me. And I'm just like, I don't. It works. <laughs> I do recognize that like this was a huge album though. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. And I remember listening to it and being like, I understand why people like it. Yeah. I just can't. It just didn't click with me at all. So Fair yeah. enough. <laughs> but no, that's awesome. Um, um, do, wait, do I get to pick my track off of Hot Yeah, Fuss? you want to go back and pick your song? Yeah. Uh, I'd probably say Indie Rock and Roll just because it's one that not a lot of people have heard because it's like a bonus track and it is yep. a really fucking good song and it's. I think it should have been on the album instead of a couple of songs on the album they could have left off. I feel like that album, I need to give it another shot, because I think I kind of wrote it off as, like, too poppy for me. Oh, no, it's so good. I mean, it is definitely poppy, but there is some depth to it, and there's some good... Like, it's just really well written, and the hooks are really fucking, like, just grab you and make you want to... Make me want to move. Who's the lead guy in that? I just remember hating him a lot. Uh, I can't remember the lead guy's name. Either way. Not relevant. Um... I just remember him bothering the shit out of me. Brandon Flowers. Okay, that's it. Yeah. yeah. I just remember whenever he, I saw an interview with him, I was just like, shut the fuck up, asshole. You're a dick. <laughs> um, okay, so moving on. My number 10, and this will be a repeat, so it'll be quick, um, is OK Computer's rate, like, I don't know, by Radiohead. OK Computer by yes. Radiohead. Yes. Um, so, like, I don't really have anything more to say about this than we did in the last episode. Except I remember, I was thinking about it more specifically, like, my experience with it. And I remember really hating the Paranoid Android video when I first saw it. Like, being super put off by Mm -hmm. the style of the video. And that's something that, like, I'll I'll talk about again with a band that's later in this list. We're, like, both bands I'm super big fans of now. But at first, the way their image came across, because of how much time we spent in the 90s watching much music and seeing these videos in constant fucking rotation... Like, I was put off by, like, the image they were putting out for that. And it had to, like, 
put that aside and just take the record as like music before I could mm. really like get into it. So that was kind of like, yeah, the video just like, it bothered me to the point where I was like, why don't you just make another video? Like just, I liked that video. It didn't put me off and creep me out like this one does. Yeah. But it sounds um, like you like came around to it eventually. Oh, I totally like when, when I finally like sat down and was like, no, everybody's talking. I think it was more like later in the year when it started coming up on best of lists. I was like, okay, I know I like the singles off this record. So I'm going to like try and forget about the video that I creeped me out and like just sit here and listen to the, the, to the album itself. And that's mm-hmm. when it kind of clicked in and like has become one of my, obviously it's in my top 10 now. So it's like one of my favorites of all time. Does I the video still, does that video still creep you out? I, I don't think I've seen that video since like much music stopped playing music videos. Like I thought <laughs> I don't go out looking for music videos now, unless I see somebody posting like one of my bands posted to their Facebook or Twitter feed, then I'll go mm-hmm. and watch it. But like most of the stuff I listen to, they don't do music videos anymore. For the yeah. most part, because it's not financially solvent for them to do that. So why would they kind of thing? They know they're going to make yeah. their money touring or on the album sales. So they don't bother pumping yeah. whatever, a quarter million, half a million dollars into a music video that's going to show up on YouTube and nobody's going to watch anyway because it's the new Deaf Heaven song or Deaf Heaven song then as opposed to whatever. So Yeah. Like I remember like... I wouldn't say that I liked that video, but I like it was, it's definitely unsettling. But mm-hmm. I remember, like, you know, I, I kind of got it, you know, like that they were trying to, and, and that's something that Radiohead I think does really well is that they try to make you sort of sit in a weird place and yeah. and, yeah. and and sort of feel it kind of thing. And and I think that that video really does that really well. I think I was just like at sixteen, I wasn't quite ready to have that kind of artistic experience yeah. with the record kind of thing, or like with the music yet. So I it didn't click with me then it was more when I got older If I went and watched it now. I probably like, Oh, I get what they were doing. Like I've been to art school. I understand how all this like (laughs) weird shit works. But like when I was 16, I was like, no, it's just fucking weird. I don't understand why they're doing this. Like, I I guess I was just a little more uh, artistically mature than you were in uh, high school. I guess, I guess so, Tim. I guess so. I guess so. I guess that's all. guess that's all it was. Would you push your fucking glasses up too at the same time? I guess, I guess, I guess that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Um, so actually, my, that's one thing I didn't, my song on this, I love Exit Music for a film. And um, I think having it just show up on Westworld a couple weeks ago, like reaffirmed that as my favorite yeah, song. Yeah, that was pretty cool. It may actually be my favorite Radiohead song, period. Like, I love that song. Like, the build in that song is fucking spectacular. So, and the nice little jazzy drum fill to start it out, or like when he actually kicks in. Mm. I love it so much. Um, so yeah, OK Computer. My number 10. Uh, Timothy, do you want to do number nine? Sure. My number nine is uh, Comfort Eagle by Cake from 2001. Nice. Good record. I, don't I think know this is one. by. F- I think this is far and away Cake's best record. I think it's really oh, yeah. where John McRae's uh, songwriting like hit its peak. Um, it's uh, it's a really great like culture jamming sort of record. Like all of John McRae's best stuff is is that, and I think that's really where this. Like this is the the sort of height of that, um, but it's also like the songs are just really well written. It's got really great hooks and really tight performances musically. Um, it's another album that just starts off really fucking strong with that opera singer. I fucking love that song. Um, yeah. And then it goes into Meanwhile Rick James, and I fucking love just how chill and downbeat that song is, and the, I love the vocals in that song. 
Um, this is an album that I can just listen to over and over and over again, and that I I really really like to just sing along with in the car. Um, like it sat in my CD player, my old Mazda, probably for like two years straight. Nice. Like it was what was in there. If if I wasn't listening to my iPod, it was this that I was listening to, mm-hmm. um, or maybe even my fucking mini disc player back then. So, I think that John McRae really understands the spirit of America, like the modern spirit of America, better than any other like songwriter does. Like this album for me, like if somebody point wanted me to point out the music or the album that I could say was like this is a definitively like modern American album, it would be this album. Um, and like Comfort Eagle would be like the pinnacle of that, uh, the actual song itself. Um, like the spoken wordy kind of rap sort of, uh, yeah. I love the, I love the way he, I don't even want to call it singing, but like the way he vocals, does his vocals. I like that. I like his style. Like, you know, I don't think it would work for everybody, but I like the way it works for cake specifically. Like, I like that. Yeah. Like if you're in the mood for cake, you're not in the mood. Well, that sounds weird. But like, if you're in the mood for that band, you're not in the mood for like, no, nothing else is going to like get you there kind of thing. Yeah. They have that specific sound with his vocals and like the way the whole yeah. package gets put together. Yeah. Christy, and you're a fucking classy, classy eater. I just want you to know. Like, <laughs> yeah, there you that... go. And that's Wait, another can... thing Wait, that I... got like, a piece of lettuce hanging out of her mouth. Yeah. <laughs> so hot. I'm so that... fucking hard right now. Yeah. But what you're saying about like them having a really individual sound, that's another thing that I noticed on, um, uh, on like these. Uh, like basically my top 10 at this point is everything on this list has a really sort of definitive sound. And it's the sort of thing where like, I can't really say, Oh, what else could I listen to besides that? That would give me what I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's a really well-constructed album. Um, it's got like little musical interludes, like instrumental interludes to kind of break it up as well. Uh, it's got a couple of their like uh, hits. It's got um, "Love You Madly" and "Short Skirt Long Jacket," which are just both phenomenal songs. And Long "Short Skirt," jacket. yeah, "Short Skirt Long Jacket" is far and away one of the best music videos of all time. You guys remember that music video? I do, yeah. And they had different ones. Like there was a different one for the U.S. and for Canada, and it was just yeah. people listening to the album uh, on like a set of headphones and reacting to it and like talking over it. Yeah, yeah, I loved that. Um, yeah, and some of good- the yeah, and some of the reactions were just fucking hilarious. Um, but my, I think my favorite song on the album, I'm going to go ahead and answer this now, is probably uh, uh, Commissioning a Symphony in C. Oh, nice. Okay, it's yeah, a, it's a good just song. just really beautiful song. It's probably, I would say, my favorite Cake song overall. I could just listen to that song over and over and over again. It's got an amazing synth part. The vocals and the harmonies in it are really, really great. The overall, like, lyrics and the um, and the uh, the feel of the song are really good. So that's that's definitely going to be my, my recommendation off this album. Um, yeah, so, and while I was putting this together too, I started noticing like between, um, the killers and this and a couple other songs on my, like next on my six to 10 here are, are albums that don't really overstay their welcome. Like this is a 10 track album. Hot Fuss is a 10 track album. It might be 11, but like the, you know, they're, they're like around an hour or something like that. They're not like fucking like 90 minute albums that are huge and epic. They're, you know, bunch of short little songs that just really work i appreciate an album that does that yeah 
I don't know. But yeah, that's my that's my number nine album is Comfort Ego by Cake. Awesome. All right, Christy, number nine. Well, my number nine would be Bare Naked Ladies Gordon. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Wait, you were how old when that album first came out? Uh, three. She was... <laughs> shit. Holy shit, were you really? Ninety-two. God I didn't come damn. out in 92, did it? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It was it was early 90s. I don't believe you guys. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. It was 92. Oh, my God. That's crazy. I don't, th- I don't think it really caught on until maybe 93 or 94, though. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I love the Bare Naked Ladies. Like, mostly... I like their old stuff. I, I was never, like... I don't think I listened much after, um, oh, they did that really weird video where they were in, like, a tower and there's a monkey with a bunch of bananas. I don't know. You lost, you lost me. Well, I lost myself, too. <laughs> Bare Naked Ladies lost me that day. But, um, <laughs> no, for me, Gordon, like, it was a lot of ties to camp because they were so easy to play on guitar. Um, yeah. like a lot of the songs, but for me too, like the fact that they have like be my Yoko Ono and if I had a million dollars, but more so that Brian Wilson and what a good boy are on this album. Yeah. Like I know those Brian were like the really good song. Oh God. Good. So good. And you know, what's funny. Like I, I felt like I needed to have a Canadian band in my top 10 as well for some representation, but, um, besides mother, mother, but, um, I don't know, like, I, there, there's just something, they had this really awesome sound when they were in their, like, their glory days. The Bare Naked Ladies had, like, a pretty uniquely cool sound. Um, and uh, What a Good Boy, just, like, it, the live version of that song just gets to me. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. And, um, I don't know, yeah, that would be my favorite, is, uh, is What a Good Boy. Um from that album followed very closely by brian wilson but um no i don't know i just i i liked when i was growing up i really liked they were canadian i like that they were also like they were goofy which was like not it was very rare in that era too yeah having that goofy fun band like yeah everybody was doing yeah everybody was doing like you know grungy like pretty serious stuff yeah Mm mm-hmm and that continued for most of the decade too. So. Yeah, like Moxie Fruvis came out and they were pretty goofy, but like Oh, I fucking love Moxie Fruvis. Yeah, they were hilarious. Video Bargain Bill will probably show up somewhere on my list. Yeah. But um except that the lead singer is a creep. But um Yeah, yeah there's that. Ojian. No, there, there's just something and I like the fact that I I remember like watching that community episode when they defend very <laughs> good ladies and i was like there's a reason that people are yeah, mocking it there's a reason they're mo- like mocking it because people are legitimately this passionate about very <laughs> good ladies this band is so popular that they really ha- you've made a short form yeah i remember yeah. um a, a group of friends i had like kind of like out just after high school like when i was in college um that worked with me at the movie theater 
that were fucking obsessed with the bare naked ladies and i was one of those like i was into that really earnest like 90s stuff at that point so like the fun loving like goofy bare naked ladies i was just like i don't fucking understand what's wrong with you people why are you wasting your time listening to this <laughs> this is when i was spending my weekends going to a matthew good or a tea party show every weekend kind of thing. so i was just like no, 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 this isn't dour enough for me, guys. I don't understand why you're... It's too happy. Why are you listening to this shit? I don't get it. It's too much fun. You shouldn't um, grin when you listen to music. Yeah, why, should, why, are you, why are people happy and dancing? You should be fucking staring at the fucking stage intently, looking miserable. Yeah. Just like the guy on the stage. Nothing um, but a, like, mild head bop. Yeah, yeah exactly. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Or slamming your body violently against oh, the yeah. people against you. Yes. Yeah. Next to you. That's like every four songs they would do the really heavy song right? yeah. <laughs> between I mean, these maudlin mid tempo things. It yeah. would be a hilariously supportive mosh pit at the Bare Naked Ladies concert. <laughs> I've actually seen them once. Uh, not, I didn't get into the mosh pit because there was no mosh pit. It was seen. It was at a casino. Um, but everybody casino was having Rama. a blast. Yeah, it actually was Casino Rama. Well, they're kind of like you know, they're kind of like they're um... totally a Casino Rama band. Oh, for yeah, sure. Totally. So slow now, buddy. So ease, ease yourself off there. Oh God. But. You know what though? Like, they're kind of like Great Big C. You just have fun when oh, you no, listen Great to Big them. Oh no, Great Big C! I fucking hate. I can't stand Great Big C. <laughs> no, no, I'm not saying like I enjoy Great Big C once in a while, but they're not in my top albums at all. But it was that it was that feeling though. Like you just have fun when yeah. you listen to the Bare Naked Ladies. You just you know you're in for like, especially putting on Gordon. Like you're in for a fun ride. Like there's some beautiful songs but none of them are like debilitatingly sad like everything's just got like a smoothness and a a a peppiness to it so you walked you walk around with like a a you know little jump in your step when you hear the bare naked ladies and you got to give it to them like this was they were one of the few albums of or uh, canadian bands of this period that actually Mm. did have like that crossover appeal like they did cross over pretty successfully into the u.s like if I had a million dollars, was a fucking huge song. Yeah, yeah. and one week blew yeah. up. That wasn't yeah. this album, yeah. but it was still. It was the next one, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Cool. It was um oh what was that one called? I had um the CD of it. Um, I'm trying to remember. Maybe you should drive. The next one's uh, maybe you should drive. Oh. Yeah. Oh no, I don't think it was maybe you should drive. It wasn't maybe you should drive. No, I think it's the one after that. Born on a pirate ship. No, nope. no, it wasn't that either. It was stunt. Stunt was 1998. Was it that late? Yep. Holy shit. And Stunt was actually... I loved Stunt as well. Like, it wasn't even one... Stunt was my second favorite album because it had, like, It's All Been Done. Super good song. I have a super funny... Super funny story about Stunt. Um, At my birthday that year... I don't know. I wish Eric were here because I think he would remember this. One of our friends bought this album for me. (laughs) Really? Yeah. And I bet you were like super my... excited about that. I was like, I was like, this is awesome. Thank you so much. I don't think I ever opened it and listened to it. I literally <laughs> probably just put it on the shelf. And now I was like, it's a really good album. I I don't like the Bare Naked Ladies, so I just like. Well, I would gladly take it off your hands because mine. I, just, like, I shelved it. So if I find it the next time I'm at mom and dad's house, I'll bring it up for you. Okay. Yeah, but st- stunt was more like. Oh, I remember they had this one song called like When You Dream. And it was like a little lullaby to one of their, to a little girl. And it was just, oh, broke my heart. And it was so cute and so sweet. And it was just like, it reminded me that the Bare Naked Ladies were kind of wholesome. And you'd like, in the 90s, you were either wholesome or you were fucking metal. Like, it 
<laughs> wow, metal might be overstating but, it a little bit. I know, bit. but you know what I mean? Like, you were risking. You're probably very dour, at the very least. Yeah, yeah. but like, um, oh, I, I need to go listen to both those albums again. Oh, they're so good. Anyway, right. that's that's uh, Gordon slash Stunt, I would say, actually, the more I think about it. You can't, awesome. no. You picked Gordon. Gordon is your number Gordon. Gordon. Gordon, you picked Gordon, so you're saying Gordon. You can, I, you can use stunt can be later in your list. Yeah, I'm gonna make a long. note. I'm gonna make a note. Awesome. <laughs> okay, so my number nine uh, is the Nationals Alligator. Ooh, um, good call. Yeah. Um, this one uh, this is such a weird album for me because like I barely listen to it anymore, but it's so defining of that. Like it's 2005. Uh, it came out. And, like, I have vivid memories of my time at university um, putting together, like, late-night newspapers and horse shit and this album playing in the background because I got um, – I, like – I'm trying to think the word uh, for it, but I, I spread the gospel of the national all across Brock University for, like, a year. <laughs> I gave this album to fucking everybody. I had everybody I knew listening to this CD. <laughs> I loved it so much. Um, and then I would kind of realize uh, much later on that it was not – it probably didn't make any sense to people who are 18 or 19, but somebody in their mid twenties who was trying to figure out what the fuck they were doing with their life. It made a lot more sense to them. So I remember like the people who really clung to it were people who are older that I like, cause you kind of get forced to meet other mature students by default while you're a mature <laughs> student. So I would be giving this to these like people that I would meet in my classes that were like in my age range. And they'd be like, that fucking album's amazing. Where'd you find that? And I was like, I don't even remember where I found it. I think like the reviews came up. And I would be hearing from people who were like probably, well, maybe not even Chrissy's age because she's like, like, how old are you, 22 or some shit now? <laughs> well, if you were like, if you were like four when Bare Naked Ladies came out, I have no idea how old you are anymore. <laughs> I'm totally lost. I'm 24. You're 24? Okay, so no. you are a baby. She's lying. No, she's I'm like not. 27. <clears throat> You're I'm 27, actually... aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, I think we just talked about this last week. I should remember that. Um, <laughs> Next month is my birthday. Oh, no. What are we going to do for your birthday? Like I don't know. I have a of... performance that night, so it has to be we'll after get, or before. We'll get you really drunk on the on the podcast so you can yeah. turn it Good idea. No. <laughs> awesome idea. Since we missed your 21st birthday or yeah. ni- 19th birthday. No, 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 no. <laughs> anyway, uh, so the Nationals Alligator. Um so this, like, how to describe why I love this album so much. Either way, like, I was totally, like, I went back to school and kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do exactly with my life. And I feel like the whole album is kind of about being in your mid to late 20s and, like, that whole weird incipient adulthood kind of, like, malaise that that goes on at that point. And uh, it's just, like, a beautifully written uh, and played, like, there's such good um musicians oh, the whole band. they're so good that, like it's always funny to me because um the lead singer matt berenger will go on about how he's not that great a vocalist but like his vocals suit what they do so it's, fucking it's very em- it, they're very emotive vocals even if they're not yeah. like technically amazing yeah um i love his voice although to be fair oh. he falls right into my vocal range which is about like this big so <laughs> when that, he sings i, I need really my like girl What's that? When he sings, uh, I need my girl, I like oh, no, melt. No. I was asking what Tim said because you cut oh. him off. 
<laughs> I was saying that's that's one of the reasons I really like John singing along with like John McRae and also like Weezer because both of those are right in my vocal range okay, too. Fair enough. Like I'm firmly a baritone and they're both baritones as well. I have a weird thing. Yeah, I have the same thing. Uh, so Matt Berenger falls right in there. That's another reason why I like Eddie Vedder so much because his voice, like I can hit everything he does. Um, and uh, Jeff Martin from the Tea Party too, like very low, mm. like super low register. But very so your low. favorite bands are basically are based completely on vanity. No, my favorite <laughs> bands are based primarily on how much I like the music. Why are you doing eyebrow things? You look like a Muppet. Visual bits yeah. on audio podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fucking check that off your bingo cards, guys. Um, yep. What was your favorite song? Uh, my favorite song on this album is it's called City Middle. Um, it's not a super popular song on the record, but it's like probably the darkest song on the album. And it's a very quiet, kind of like somber, like thinking piece in the middle of the record, towards the end of the record. Um, but like, I like all, I like, this is an album that I listened to, like, and like, I didn't say this a lot in the last episode, but like, these are albums that I listened to the whole way through and then I'll just put on and listen to the whole way through. The National has become, has this, is this band where like, because of the way I left Brock, um, that I won't talk about on the podcast, but they, the memory of it is kind of soured to me. So I don't put them on as much anymore because it kind of brings, like, it's so part of like ingrained in that time of my life that ended kind of negatively that I'm like, I have a trouble listening to it again, but I fucking remember loving the album so much that I still think like, I still recommend it to people where I'm like, They'll be like, oh, I really like this song. What should I listen to? I'm like, go listen to The National. Like, you should go listen. They're a fucking fantastic band. It's just that I have this weird negative connotation to them now where I'm like, I can't listen to them anymore. I, at least this one in Boxer specifically, like those two, because they were right in the middle of my time at Brock, I can't listen to those ones as much anymore. But when I do put them on, if I don't just immediately start to weep openly um, <laughs> because of, like, old bad memories. <laughs> um I'm always like, these are fucking such good albums. And I feel like the national have been on this, like progressively getting better with each album where like they haven't since alligator came out, they've put out four or five albums now. Um, and each one they've gotten better or like they haven't put out a bad record since then. Like they've been on this like stunning flawless album run from like 2005 till now. And they are in the studio working on their next one. Also, if you can see them live, you should go because, like, their live shows are, like, breathtakingly good. Like, it is so beautiful to see these guys play live. Yeah. No, you know, it's funny. I totally empathize with the emotional, like, connection with music that you love so much that it's so hard to listen to. It took me a few years to be able to listen to Transatlanticism. Um, after, after the dumpster that, incident. The dumpster summer. Um, <laughs> After Christie's dumpster summer. <laughs> well, That's a movie. That's a movie right there. We got to start working on that screenplay. Christie's dumpster <laughs> summer. No, it'll be in my book. No, we'll, just, we'll, we'll, do, we'll do it as part of the web co- the, of the web comic that we've never yeah, talked yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, we do need on. to do that. We need to get back on that. Mm-hmm. But Christie's dumpster summer. Let's make light of Mark's sad story. Just call my dumpster. But no, I totally get it though. Like, as much as you love the music, it's like so emotionally tied to those events that, like, you need to heal before you can listen to it again, or else like it sets you back, and you're just like, oh, 
Shit. We're going, on, we're going on a decade since all this shit went down now, but I still like I still get a little like antsy about it whenever I think about it. But like this album, I love this album so much that like I I've been trying to kind of bring it back a little bit, and it's mm-hmm. like okay, it's tough to sit through sometimes still, but a lot Don't of worry. it, some of it is that, and it also like just the theme of the album is still something that I am struggling with, like that whole like trying to become a grown up and not be a fucking asshat still. So, oh, you are a millennial, Mark. Apparently, I am. You. <laughs> no, I think, the, I think the Gen Xers had yeah. the same issues. So fuck both. No, yourselves. I mean we're 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 in between the generations. We're not solidly Gen think, Xers yeah. or millennials, technically speaking. No, that's true. But no. yeah, the I'm the national is, is a millennial. You aren't. You definitely are. You totally are. Look at those hipster glasses and beanie. You're totally a millennial. <laughs> Guys, it's cold in here, and, and I can't see. Ponytail. <laughs> hipster trash. Yeah. And your vintagey looking dress with like what is that bikes on? Bicycles. Is that bikes? Yeah. Yes. Oh my god! Big wheel bicycles. Oh my god! Don't look at me. And your fucking your fucking nose ring. (laughs) This was about your sad times. I was trying to make you feel better. Nothing about my appearance has changed since then, though. If if (laughs) if you zoom in on, you can probably see her uh, her waxed mustache too. <laughs> I remember a dude that went to Brock with me actually had the wax mustache, and we were like, "You need to cut that off, dude. You're never gonna get laid." He never did. Probably still <laughs> hasn't. He probably still has the mustache. I would do it. What? Wax your mustache <laughs> or lay oh, him? Wax his. Oh, wax his or lay him? <laughs> I'd wax your mustache. Is that an entendre? <laughs> I think she wants to ride his mustache. Is actually what yeah. she's looking for. What there about it bicycles? Is. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> is that a you so the- for your vagina? Mustache. Awesome. All right, Tim, you were, you were going to say something. Yeah, the Nationals a band that I was really, for whatever reason, never was really on my radar until like a couple of years ago. Like, I've started to get into them now. I still have not like l- sat down and listened to full albums of theirs, but like, I, I fucking, I really love Mr. Mr. November. It's an amazing song. Oh, Mr. November is a great song. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, you really yeah. need to um, like grab their discography. You can grab their early stuff if you want, but like I feel yeah. like they really became like the national, like they became that band uh, at Alligator, and have just been like stunning ever since. Like every album has been fantastic. Like I love everything they put out afterwards. So yeah, I'm yeah, a, I'm in the same boat as Tim. There was a guy that I used to know who um, dated a friend of mine that he obsessed with the National, and I really didn't like him. The <laughs> so, like. He kept, like, trying to, like, make me listen to The National. I was like, no, I associate I like, with you being a douche. I feel yeah. like we all have, like, The National is, like, suffering based on our associations with other things. Like, we douche, all like yeah. the band. But we're all like, oh, these assholes fucked with our lives or something like that. Or we thought they were <laughs> assholes or something. So well, now we're just like, I can't listen to them anymore. <laughs> well, what happened to me with The National, anyway, is that, like, they broke up. And, like, a few years later, one of their songs came on. I was like, oh, my God. God, who is this? And I like turned up the radio and I was like, shit. Really good. <laughs> like, yeah. Damn it, he was right. <laughs> yeah, they're an excellent band. Uh yeah, so I said my song. Uh that's about all I got on that one. Uh we'll go into number eight. Timothy. Alright, we're finally going to get into an artist that we talked about a lot a lot on our last episode and uh that I'm Frank, I'm somewhat surprised we haven't hit on yet, and it's uh, it's the Beatles. Mr. Berg! Sorry. <laughs> 
And uh, it's my favorite Beatles record, which might end up being a little controversial, which is Abbey Road. Ooh, really? Abbey yeah. Road? Which is Abbey Road, 1969, which was right as they were sort of like... Done. Almost fallen apart kind of thing. Like, it was the yeah. last... Yeah, the last album that they were like all in the studio together for. Um, yeah. Let It Be was all basically stuff that was recorded before this. Um. But yeah, I mean, for for me, it's overall a really solid album, and it it really foreshadows what was to come. I mean, it had each Beatle really sort of shined on it. Like they all had their own songs, but they also all came together to do some really amazing things on the album <laughs> as well. <laughs> it's funny that you say it that way. <laughs> yeah. It, it did start out. It did, yeah, it did start out with "Come Together," which was, I mean, for the time, a fucking totally experimental song. Like nobody'd heard anything really quite like that before. And that yeah. is like that that's what I mean in terms of like this really allowing each Beatle to sort of explore their own space. Like that is totally a fucking Lennon song. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, and then right after that is Something, which is one of the most beautiful Beatles songs and like totally a Harrison song. Yep, 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 yep. Um yeah. and then the album has some really interesting like synth and uh like moog kind of parts on it as well yeah i was gonna say this is where they started really getting into like studio well they'd been doing studio stuff before but this is where they started getting into like the sampley looped moog stuff. yeah um, yeah like on on like uh, maxwell silver hammer had some like interesting yeah. synth stuff and uh because had some really interesting synth stuff as well because is unbelievably beautiful oh it's a fuck yeah a really truly beautiful song amazing harmonies there you can really feel like the the beach boy beach boys influence coming through Mm -hmm. um and then oh darling is i really like that song because it like harkens back to their earlier stuff but it's definitely like more mature than like the sort of you know really poppy stuff that they were doing in the earlier days um octopus's garden is just it's such a ringo song see this is why whenever people say like they love abbey road i'm always like octopus's garden guys like i don't <laughs> so so this is it's where like the yellow personal submarine. yellow yeah. submarine the same kind of thing anything ringo writes i'm just like the fuck guy like so why this, why <laughs> this is where the personal significance comes in for me because again all these albums that have are in like my uh you know top 10 to 6 here all again have like personal significance to me Octopus's Garden is definitely one of, if not the very first Beatles song I ever heard, because I'm pretty sure my mom played it for me when I was really young. Because it's a good, like, kid song, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that, both that and Yellow Submarine are, like, really good, like, you know, happy kind of bath time kid songs. Um, so, yeah, like, I, I definitely have a personal sort of catharsis and nostalgia for Octopus's Garden because of, uh, because of that. Um, and fuck it. I want you. She's so heavy. Yeah, that's a good. It's so fucking good. It's just a fucking like elevated like prog rock blues song. Yeah. Oh, just so fucking raw and amazing guitar and that this um sorry I want you. She's so heavy may be the one of the most um referenced song titles um outside of um I can't quit you baby by led zeppelin where like i you see other bands using variations of either i want you or she's so heavy as tracks mm-hmm. for titles for songs yeah because it was probably like influenced by this and the same thing happens with i can't quit you baby where like you'll see other ones like uh i know like queens of the stone age has one called you can't quit me baby kind of thing and he's writing like as a stalker or something like that but like 
I don't know why it's like it's a Queens of the Stone Age thing. You should. You, it's a great song, but anyway, I just find it like that. That type, those two titles, I see variations of them pop up in rock music mm-hmm. a lot because I'm kind of like probably the, out of the three of us, the one who spends the most time reading like about rock music history and all that kind of horse shit. Yeah. Oh There's no, I think I tie maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I actually like while I was doing research for this, I down like I saw I was reading about my next album. And like I found, there's an album or a book that uh, I'll talk about that I actually ended up just going out and buying immediately because I was like, "Oh, that sounds really interesting." It's about like Can Rock from 1985 to 1995. <laughs> Who else gives a shit about that except for me? But I now do. I'm going to read the book, and I'll probably have it done tomorrow. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, what I really liked about that album too wasn't even so much. Well, how do I say this? I really respected what they did with that music for Across the Universe. Yeah. Yeah, the stuff they did with, like, Because and uh, I Want You, She's So Heavy in, in uh, yeah, and Across the Universe was really, really awesome. Well, only because, like, like you're and saying, that album, was, that album was pretty damn controversial. Yeah. Um, amongst fans. And, like, it could have gone so wrong, and I think it really elevated the love of those songs again. Mm-hmm. Like What's the weird, originals. Um, if you go back and like look at the critical reception for Abbey Road when it came out, it got a pretty mixed reception mm-hmm. when it initially came out. Like People weren't really sure what to make of it. It's only kind of like a lot of the stuff that happened with the Beatles and like big bands like that in the 60s and 70s. Like Zeppelin's the same thing where like they got critically kind of shit on at the time. And then it's like with time, eventually people are like, "Oh wait, Sergeant Pepper's. What the fuck were we thinking? Giving it three stars or whatever? Like we're all retarded." Yeah, like, yeah and that's the thing. Stuff. Like for a long time, I I might have said like Sergeant Pepper or Magical Mystery Tour are my favorite Beatles album. Holy but... shit, Tim! We have polar opposite tastes in Beatles albums. This is the first time where we, <laughs> I feel like we haven't just got to like dot. I mean I I don't know I don't know what it is I think a lot of this is just uh, because this is really music that I got into because of my parents so I I ended up really liking the stuff that they liked um, and listening to it more kind of thing Uh, but but, well this is definitely the popular side of the Beatles too like it's a little bit more accessible than maybe like the stuff I like it is and it isn't. I mean, some of, like I want you. She's so heavy isn't particularly accessible. Um, that's true, but like there is some like stuff. Almost that's, the, yeah. It was almost the seventies at that point, so that was just like that was going to become like on vogue anyway. Like that yeah. was like FM radio was becoming a thing, right? Like yeah. that was going to happen anyway. Yeah. Um, and here comes the sun. Was I have a personal sort of like relationship to that song as well because it was one of the first songs that I ever learned to play on guitar. Oh wow! Like really? when I was taking guitar, I was taking lessons in like grade nine or something like that, grade eight, grade nine, um, and uh, not at school, like private lessons. And that was like my uh, basically once I got like through all the chords and stuff like that, I picked it up really quickly because I already had a pretty strong music background. And then my instructor yeah. basically just started like teaching me songs, and that was one of the first songs that we that he that I learned. Um, and that eventually we got to the point where like I was nailing that and he was like, yeah, you don't really need any more lessons. Like, you know, I can't teach you any more than what you've learned kind of thing. So, but we haven't got, even got to the, my favorite part of this album yet, which is probably the most controversial part of this album, which is the medley, medley. which is the medley on the second half, which is, oh, I fucking love it. I mean, it's there. I 
think the songs are edited together really well. They make a nice little like symphony. You've got like musical themes that come back throughout it. Um, particularly the last like three songs in it, uh, golden slumbers carry that weight. In the end I have like in the last like five years or so in particular, I've developed a massive amount of catharsis for those songs. Fair enough. It's like I'll listen to them and I just like, you know, lay lay my head back and like bliss out. Like I've listened to them on like really late nights, like drinking with friends kind of thing and just chilled out. And um, yeah, I mean, I think that that might be my favorite, like side two of an album, like my favorite back half of an album ever. Interesting. Yeah. And I mean, the, the, the very end of quote of the end uh, like those lyrics are just, just, just perfect for me. Like, and in the end of the love you take is equal to the love you make. See, so I always good. want that to be like a full song. I feel like that one would be the one that I would have like, I would don't know if I would have kept the medley as a whole. I would have made that like a, a fucking track on its own. I like that part of it. So yeah, that's why I, I, when people say like, they like the medley, I'm like, there's parts of it that are awesome, but I like, I wish they had taken those ideas and like blown them out as opposed to just like. Yeah, I'm not. I wouldn't say you know. I'm not going to try and sit here and say it's like perfect or anything like that. But I think it's it's really good for what it is. And it's it's again like it's them trying to play off the Beach Boys. Like they sort of had a back and forth thing. Like the Beach Boys would put something out, and then the Beatles would be like, "Fuck, why didn't we do that first? And the the Beatles would put something out, and then the Beach Boys would be like, like they were just constantly one upping each other. And I think that that was a really good sort of friendly rivalry. And that's what broke Brian Wilson's brain, too, because he <laughs> couldn't keep up eventually. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the Beatles couldn't either, right? They fell apart. That's true, too. But um, I think at yeah. the end, they, they they all came out more or less whole. I mean, well, like, in fucking events. John Lennon came out with a hole in his head. Ooh, that's dark. Too soon. Too soon. <laughs> Too soon. I don't even know. Did he get shot in ago? his head? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't have remember. To look it up. I can't um, yeah. And then it ends off with, like, Her Majesty, which is, like, a nice light, like, you know, you've just gone through this really, like, sort of long, like, cathartic, heavy sort of piece, and then they give you something, like, little light, like, after dinner mint to sort of uh, settle your stomach at the end. Fair enough. <laughs> so awesome. I mean, like I said, I think the main reason that that uh, this is my favorite Beatles album is because it does have personal significance to me at several different stages at my life. Like when I was a kid, I, I definitely listened to Octopus's Garden. When I was like, you know, my maybe twenties or so, I would listen to like I Want You and Oh Darling and Something and Come Together and stuff like that. And then the last like five years or so, I've started to really appreciate the sort of sweet on the back half of the album. Nice. Very cool. Abbey Road. That was my long-winded love for Abbey Road. Sorry. <laughs> no problem. Okay, so where are we here? We're number eight. Yeah. <laughs> number eight. My number eight. Uh... Oh, you skipped me. Did I? <laughs> okay, sorry. Chrissy. How dare you. My number eight is Radiohead in Rainbows. Ooh. Oh, okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I prefer oh. the basement version. What's the basement version? They do it live. They do it live in the basement. They do it live in the. They do it live in the. It's a. It's a radio show in Mm. somewhere. I can't remember now. It might be. It was really cool. Yeah, the the version, the live version of Reckoner on the in the basement version is spectacular. Yeah. Um, Um, Really, honestly, I don't have 
like a million ties to this like Tim does with the Beatles and Abbey Road. And <laughs> for me, I just found that I really loved the sound. This was one of those albums that like it's on this not because of, um, you know, a personal tie, but because I just genuinely loved listening to it. Mm-hmm. Um, because it still had like the Radiohead vibe and like everything I liked about Creep and um, everything I liked about all the songs I heard up to this point. But this was the first album of Radiohead that I listened to to expose myself to them like on like repeat. And uh, my favorite um, is All um, All I Need. Okay. That's that an song. awesome song. Oh, um, I, I, have right so, I, love, I love this album. It's actually on my list later, like further down. Um, <laughs> because it's the, I feel like it's Radiohead coming back to being the Radiohead I want Radiohead to be. Yeah, not um, so like experimental and like trying yeah, to prove after, something. After the Kid A Amnesiac like albums, which I enjoy, I do like those records, but like I always felt like it was almost like they were trying too hard to be obtuse, mm-hmm. especially in Amnesiac. Like Amnesiac's a very difficult listen, um, and I think that what was the one was was King of Limbs right after? No, not King of Limbs. Hail to the Thief was the one between. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the Kid A duo and like this album, I felt like that one was a little like was very dour and like they weren't really sure what to do with themselves anymore. I feel like mm-hmm. in Rainbows was them kind of getting back to like okay we we can do we can be Radiohead and still be like a rock band and be Radiohead again without having to yeah. be like we're gonna grind people's fucking brains into paste by making them listen to these weird loops and well that's why that's why with this album in particular i think i liked it so much because i'd been exposed to the others a little bit and i really loved certain songs off those albums but never really could force myself to listen to the insanity that they were sometimes yeah and within rainbows and i think that's why i preferred the live version too because it was just tom york being so like genuinely talented and you could just really see that beyond the oddness, Radiohead is a band that pu- does push like some pretty cool boundaries with music, but at the root of it, they are so- just beautiful songwriters. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's something to say too. Like um, I've seen Radiohead four or five times live. Like anytime they come so. around, which like I go see them. They're fa- I saw them on this tour too, actually, like on the In Rainbows tour. Mm-hmm. Um. And it was really, really spectacular. But when they're, it's that difference between like Radiohead, the studio band, and Radiohead, like the live band, they're so fucking good live. Like they're such good musicians. Yeah. And like the way they restructure, especially if you go back to those, like the Kid A kind of stuff and like listen to those and like hear the way they restructure them to be played live, like as a rock ensemble, mm-hmm. like a five piece or whatever they are now. Um, it's really spectacular because they still do some of the weird stuff in there, but they're playing it so that it's like just the five guys playing it like they'll have synthesizers and stuff and some backing tracks but like they'll rearrange certain parts of the synth stuff so that they can fake it on guitar and do stuff like that they're just so good at doing that kind of stuff um and this is like i love this i love i like i love this album a lot too so it's also too um it's tech it's a lot of people think it's a companion piece to okay computer have you ever heard the ones and zeros theory no if you take okay computer and um in, in rainbows. rainbows and sequence them so like you start with okay computers track one and then like 
put in rainbows track one and then go two two three three four four five five six six like and throughout they seg into each other oh. and they still and they still fit and work together <laughs> yeah it's interesting i think you have to crossfade them a little bit but like they it, it does work actually i've tried i'm sure somebody's ones. edited it together somewhere you could probably go find it on YouTube too, yeah. yeah, if you wanted to. But yeah, there's there's definitely stuff where like, and because it was actually released exactly ten, they were ten years apart because this album came yeah. out in two thousand seven. Yep. So there, it was like the ten year anniversary. So this is like if OK Computer Zero One, uh, God damn it, in rainbows is. I was gonna uh, say, ten like one zero, like it's like the binary counterpart to it. Hmm. That's what the that's the that's the theory. Like if you go on their like on their TV tropes or on their Wikipedia page, it'll the, you can see them having done that. Which I'm going to talk about more weird alternate uh, album track listing stuff is something that I get really I'm fascinated by because there's weird things that musicians do for that kind of stuff. And my one of the bands is coming up on my list is going to does that shit a lot. So, hmm. um, well, I'll be yeah, the no, I love in rainbows. I'll be the dissenting opinion on this one. This is probably in rainbows is probably my least favorite Radiohead post post okay computer radiohead album that's being said it's like you know it's my least favorite pizza all fucking pizza is still good (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah it's definitely the one it's definitely the one i've listened to the least out of the like post um post okay Okay computer computer stuff yeah it's just i would listen to the basement um version if you can it's yeah, pretty spectacular. I, it. I can upload it for you, so if you want. Sure. I'll give it a listen. But that's uh, that's my. I'm suggestion. surprised you don't. I'm surprised you don't like it. I feel like it's it, like it, it has the same vibe as OK Computer. Maybe a little bit lighter, but like I feel like it's got the same like feel, yeah. like production wise. So. Well, I think that part of this might be your sort of, which you've admitted to previously. You know, stuck in the late '90s uh, <laughs> preferences. True. Whereas mine True. have, I, I would think, evolved a little bit more over time. Not that there's anything wrong with either of those things happening. It's just that's <laughs> how our musical tastes have changed or not changed over the years. True. True. <laughs> I just um, feel like I... society peaked in the 90s, guys. I think nothing got better than torn jeans and fucking flannel shirts. <laughs> I still dress that way. Yeah, nothing wrong which, with it. Which we can tell by Mark's wardrobe. Yeah. Nah. The, Pearl, the Pearl Jam hoodie that I've worn every time we've done a podcast ever, so... I that's, will say this. That's just uh, listen to it. It literally all, is. <laughs> um, as a side note, all I need is one of the sexiest songs you will hear. I have a band that used to do a cover of that, actually. Oof, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. Our lead singer got laid like crazy because of that song. <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, cool. Now it's your turn, Mark. My, my number eight album, uh, and I've talked about it on the podcast before, but it's the Tragically Hip's Day for Night. Um, Tim's Tim's nodding his head in disagreement. Or no, in that's a good expected. album. I mean, I'm not I'm not the hip fan that you are, but I will acknowledge it is a great album. Um, so this is kind of where, like, for me, a lot of people will like point to Fully Completely as like their favorite hip album, like as the best hip album. Um, I like this one a little bit better. It's a little bit artsier. It's a little bit more atmospheric. It's a little darker than Fully Completely was, which is saying something because Fully Completely does have uh, Locked in the Trunk of a Car on it. So <laughs> anything, any song about a serial killer, um, for some reason, I'll listen to. But uh, I feel like Day for Night, it's like, it's them really completely stepping away from like the blues rock band that they were when they started out. Like the early Tragically Hit was very much like a straight ahead blues rock 
like we're playing in the back of a shitty bar kind bar of band. band yeah yeah and this is them stepping away from that completely and becoming like a completely different kind of like more mature kind of art rock kind of band um and this is where i feel like downey really like takes a step forward as the lyricist um it's kind of the middle piece like if i split up the hip into weird like kind of groupings of albums and i feel like this is like them at their peak like fully completely day for night and shawl with the hen house they're all very dark very moody atmospheric albums but i think they nail it perfectly on day for night so like even like from the opening on grace 2 it's all really tied together by a very like um tight and deep rhythm track so like the drummer and the bass player are all over this album like it's all bass ray to the front kind of thing which is why i'm surprised like if you're not a hip fan i guess it's the reason why you wouldn't like it that much tim but like if you were going to listen to a hip album like as a bass player this would be the one i would point you to probably first yeah that's true because it's just got that like feel for it um and it's something that i i keep finding as i go through these albums where i'm like making these lists and being like what do i really like about this and like the rhythm sections always keep standing out to me like that's what i kind of gravitate back towards maybe because that's what i play is yeah it's probably it. but um no, this is where i feel like those i mean those it's two guys Gord, kinda... gordy's vocals are just so fucking enrapturing as well like i I'm oh, not, yeah. i never said i'm not a hip fan i'm just not the level of hip fan that you are mm. <laughs> i'm not even i don't even consider myself to be like that big a hip fan but i guess maybe like in comparison i definitely am like i have seen yeah. them like I saw them four times on their last tour, but that was because it was their last tour. I try and go once per tour when they come around kind of thing. Yeah. I have all their albums on CD. I've got their first eight albums on vinyl somewhere, probably back there. Um, and like, but this is the one that always like, this is my hip album. Like, this is the one that I gravitate towards all the time, all the time. The same like way, like I always gravitate towards Octoon Baby. There's probably some like themes that are very similar. It's very dark. It's probably like, Chrissy probably can say something about how much I brood about this kind of stuff, but like it is a very <laughs> broody kind of album. Um, it does have a very dark tinge to it. So like, it's got like nautical disaster on it. Um, oh, I love scared. nautical disaster. I don't know. Those all sound pretty upbeat to me. Yeah. yeah scared is on it. Um, my, my pick for tracks um, and they didn't play it on this last tour, which really bummed me out. Cause it would have been something that I thought Gord would do. Cause he's such a cheeky bastard. Um, or he was back in the day anyway, before he was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. But um <laughs> The Inevitability of Death is my track of choice on this album. And it's probably the more straight-ahead rocker on there, but it's just, like, it's such a good fucking song. It's the song that I used on the intro to our Tragically Hip special that bonus episode. Like, that mm-hmm. guitar riff is the yeah. opening, The Inevitability of Death. Um, it's act- That's actually probably my favorite Tragically Hip song. Um, between that and, like, I mean, everybody likes Ahead by a Century, but, like, that's this, that's my song, so... Chrissy's kind of looking at me like she doesn't know what I'm talking about. No, I'm <laughs> following. Not a hip fan. I just don't know. I've I've never listened to them. You should really like. You should give this one as well. I mean, I've I've we'll... listened definitely to the singles off this album, but it's not an album that I've ever sat down and listened to all the way through. You guys are missing out. I'm missing out. <laughs> this is like I. This is my favorite hip album. I think if you go between this and fully completely, um, if you're gonna like, if you want to try and like listen to the hip, I would recommend those two albums. Yeah. Um, that'd be the way I would go, uh, especially for you, Tim. Since you're like, if you're a bass player, you would like how strong, like how f- forward the, the rhythm section are is on these two records. Yeah. And if you like good vocals and lyrics, like the lyrics especially, I don't know. Gord's like the strongest vocalist ever. It's very like he's got his own thing going on, and it's very strong. But like, I don't think he's technically the most proficient vocalist either. Oh no. Um, 
it. Like his writing is amazing. Actually, that's the other thing. That's the reason I would recommend them to Christy is like his storytelling style while he's like, yeah. in his lyrics is super strong. Yeah. I believe it. Yeah. Like that was always his thing. So yeah. So that's my number eight. All right. All right. So number seven, um, this feels Mutt. weird that we're not doing this. Now that I'm thinking about it, but it feels weird that we didn't start like way hot, like way higher, and then come down back to number one. But whatever, because <laughs> um, now I'm all confused about what number we're at and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so number seven, Tim. All right, my number seven uh, is uh, "Give Up" by the Postal Service. Which <gasps> is you get out, you get out. <laughs> Did I steal That's one? That's my from number you? five. How can be number, number five? five. Well, you're number oh, five. Six to ten today, I put Christy. On too many. <laughs> I put on too many. <laughs> we already Shit. did five. We did one to five already. Oh, god damn it. <laughs> Alright, well I guess Christy did her eleven to six today. Yeah. God damn it. Um, <laughs> well, here we can gush over this it's together instead, six. okay? All right, why don't you guys? Why don't you guys fucking we can, like we can sploosh we can sploosh all over this album together then? Because yeah. for me, it's just a it's a f- really great mix of like frantic like uh, electronica sort of beats and mellow indie pop like shoegaze vocals from Ben uh, Ben Gibbard. So for anybody that doesn't know, because I mean it's a little kind of obscure because it was the postal service only ever put out one album is ben gibbard the i know it's if there's one band that you could say to me like you know if you could have another album from any one artist who would it be it would be the postal service yes. hands down. um Blasphemers. <laughs> uh so it was ben gibbard who's the lead singer from death capture cutie and uh, uh jimmy jimmy yeah jimmy tamborello who's uh dintel uh, it was an electronic artist. Basically, the whole artist is just them, and then uh, Jenny Lewis from Rilo Kylie does some backing vocals on it. Oh, I love Jenny Lewis. Yeah, and her backing vocals on it are fucking phenomenal. But this, I'm not really big on like songs about love and albums about like relationships and stuff like that. But this one really speaks to me. Um, it's a fucking like great breakup album. Um, there's a lot oh, of really good is. lyrics. Yeah. There's so many like really good lyrics that are really like realistic. Like it's about how sometimes people see situations differently or they're just at different places in the relationship or different places emotionally. You know, it's not just like that, you know, that I cheated on you and therefore we broke up no. kind of thing. It's like, you know, that I grew and you didn't and that sort of thing. And that, uh yeah God, like really bittersweet so... yeah um the first track on this album is not my favorite but from there on everything else is is just amazing like such great heights is such oh a God. fucking beautiful great song um it's, ugh, it's so good it's just like you know what it was it was the fact that like that that kind of like sound again and back to sound it was so unique yeah, nobody else was doing like that kind of like indie dance music at that time. Like, I feel like this started a movement that then got carried on by like LCD Sound System and like 
uh, who else? Like Passion Pit and MGMT and those sorts of bands. Mm-hmm. But, oh, God, it was just like, uh, wait, I'm just trying to think. What was the first What was the first song on this album? The first track on it is, um, oh, no, wait. I must have listened to it in the wrong album, in the wrong order. That's, you don't no, like the, the first, District Sleeps Alone? No, I do love The District Sleeps Alone. I must have it saved in the wrong order on my computer. No, District Sleeps Alone is an amazing song. I can't, uh, I can't remember what song it was that I thought that wasn't great. It might have been a bonus track or something. I was going to say, if you don't like The District Sleeps Alone tonight, Such Great Heights, Sleeping In, Nothing Better, Clark Gable, Recycle, yeah. when we, be, we Will Become Silhouettes, Brand New Colony, like, all, oh, they're so good. Hold on, I need to look it up. Okay, I have a song called Against All Odds listed as the number one, but it must be a bonus track or something like that. Yeah, Against All Odds is definitely a bonus track. It wasn't on okay. um, All right, the I, need, I need to do some editing to my uh, fucking, uh, to my iTunes library then. But okay, well, yes, it's, then it starts off with uh, DC, or The District Sleeps Alone Tonight, which is an amazing song, and I have oh. a really good story that goes along with that song too, or well, this whole album. Um this was, let's see, 2009. Uh, I moved down to Atlanta in January. I didn't have a job or anything. I was just coming down, basically. I was living off of, like, some savings for a few months so that Alicia and I could live together. And I was, like, basically going through and applying to a bunch of grad schools and that sort of thing. And I figured it would be better for me to do that down here so I could actually, like, go in and meet people. And uh, but I could only be in the U.S. for six months without like a uh, an actual like you know employment or student visa, and so at the end of that, this is like June, uh, two thousand and nine. I was like, okay, well, I got accepted to a school, but I have to go home for a couple months until my visa kicks in. So I decided I was going to do this like crazy road trip, and I drove from Georgia. Um, up to Canada, but I went, uh, normally I would go 75 all the way up, but I did 95 instead. So I swung a bit further East and I went through DC and you know how road trips kind of go. Sometimes you get places at a really fucking weird time and you're like, well, okay, I didn't plan to be here at three in the fucking morning, but I am. So what do I do? Uh, so I got to DC and it was like one in the morning or something like that. I'm like, okay, none of the museums or anything are open, but I can still walk around and like see the monuments and shit like that. So I like drove around DC listening to give up and like the district sleeps alone oh. tonight in the middle of the fucking night, like blaring it in my old fucking Mazda oh. MX three. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was just, it's, it's a memory that has always stuck really hard in my mind. And it was, it, it was really strangely appropriate. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I did. A, I did a similar thing from uh, going to Philly, like driving to Philly. Um, mm. I got there super late at night and like didn't want to. I was going to check into a hotel, but I was going. I was going out for a Pearl Jam show, but I went out and kind of drove around Philly and just kind of looked at everything beforehand, like just blurring Pearl Jam. Me along with like probably ten thousand other people who had just come into town for the <laughs> show that year in two thousand four. But true. Yeah. Anyway, it was, yeah. I love that. That late night drive stuff is definitely like. Yeah, you can't beat that shit. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, I, I really got. I'm gonna. Have to, I'm gonna have to like download this album because I've never. heard Oh it. my god! It's oh just... no! I, like sorry, I shouldn't say that. I've probably heard it. Like I've heard it before for sure. I just you've I definitely heard D- uh, District Sleeps Alone tonight. Yeah, I just like I don't. It's got a lot of radio play. Um, it's just no, like... this, this would have been around the era when like me and the radio kind of parted ways pretty yeah. significantly. So, um, but I will definitely give it a spin. 
That's actually why I like doing these episodes because you guys will say stuff and I'm like, oh, I've never really like given those guys a chance. I should. Well, I made a Spotify playlist of all of our albums. Yeah, you never sent it to me though. It's just called Dance Robot Dance. Oh, did you? Okay. Um, but no, my my experience with this album was I don't think it was as profound as yours, Tim. <laughs> but um, it was more that uh, I kind of discovered it by accident. I'd um, been given remember that mystery CD that I talked about, mm-hmm. where I got Imogen yeah. and some Death Cab. Postal Service was on it, but I thought that it was just the Death Cab song. Mm-hmm. So I kept looking for this Death Cab song that I I'd loved and it was um oh what was it uh it was um sleeping in mm-hmm. and I I just like I kept looking and looking and I was asking all these people like you know that death cab song the one about him like you know don't wake me I plan on sleeping <laughs> in and everyone was like there's no death cab song like that so for years I was like pulling out my hair being like what is this song and um I finally one day was just on YouTube and I wrote, I just wrote in, don't wake me, I plan on sleeping in. (laughs) And the postal service came up and I was like, what the fuck is the postal service? I opened it up and I was just like, this is a song. This is it. And from then on, like, I just, I binged that album and I would listen to it. Like I used to go on really late night walks when I was in university. I would go on these late night walks to swing sets Mm-hmm. And um, just to that like de-stress. Creepy. No, um, but it I was just. I proposed to my wife on a swing set, and we met for the first time cute. in person on, a, on the same swing set. That's so cute. <laughs> Don't ruin my swing set story. Yours is so much cuter. <laughs> go ahead. Because um, I would yours go to mine sad. alone. I was just saying, <laughs> yours is kind of sad and morbid, isn't it? <laughs> no, no. Well, a little bit. When I was in university and like I was feeling pretty stressed out or like kind of lonely, what I would do is I'd put on. Um, the post I'd put on the postal service on my iPod and just go and like listen to the whole album while I just like went on the swings and it was like it was just so cathartic because it, like you said it's just this like emotionally driven but like kind of all about a healing process about mm-hmm. being feeling lost and feeling like lonely and finding ways to heal and I just remember thinking it was the most beautiful midnight music yeah like yeah in turn yeah i definitely what you're talking about in terms of a healing process like one of my favorite lyrics on the album is um from nothing better which if i had to pick a song to recommend i think it would be that yeah um, that which so is so good yeah so it's uh uh don't it's basically uh a breakup where the guy is not ready to let go but the girls like look you know you're seeing things very differently than I am. Let me remind you of all these things that went wrong and how, you know, we really don't work together and that sort of thing. And she has a line that's uh, laid in the song that's, uh, don't you tell me lies about some idealistic future. Your I heart love that won't, line. Your heart won't heal right if you keep tearing out the sutures. That's one of my favorite lines, too. That's, like, my favorite yeah. line from the whole album. Yeah, it's, it's so profound. So, it's so good. Like, that album, because of, like, those sorts of themes – it definitely helped me to get like some closure on past relationships and like gain some perspective on my current relationship at the time. Yeah. Um, but like, I just love you're right. That song is again, one of my absolute favorites. I think it might be my favorite on the album. Um, just because it's, it's such a short 
but captivatingly like haunting song because of how accurate it represents a breakup. Mm-hmm. With like so few words, like um, Mark, some of the lyrics are like um, what Tim just said, uh, um, and then one that I really liked is always the girls' lines that I really liked. Um, when she's like, "I feel I must, I feel interject, I must interject here," here. You're getting carried away with feeling, feeling sorry for sorry yourself for with these revisions and gaps in history. Yep, and it's just like, oh god, it's. And then how she says, "I've prepared a lecture on why I have to leave," because like that's what you do. You're like you're when you're talking to someone who's just not ready to break up with you and you're like, "Listen, you're just idealizing all these things because you don't you haven't like had the time like I have to think about the yeah. poisonous things that we've done to each other." And it's so real because it's not that she she's not angry, she's not screaming at him, she's just being like factual and real while he's got these like dreamy, idealistic like pretty yeah. words that he keeps describing it's, and it's just it's, it's Ugh. really, really well written for sure. And and the fact that it is like really sort of sappy and stuff like that is really well offset by the the actual music, like the electronic side of it. Like it, it, it's a it's a little more like driving. And, you know, it's a lot of the time when you'd hear music like this, it would be like fucking like singer songwriter, like just a dude and a guitar kind of thing. But it adds a different dimension to it because it is basically over like electronic and sampling and that sort of thing. It's just so like it's moving. Yeah. The album, the whole album is a moving experience. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, I could talk about this for another like two hours, but we should probably yeah. move on. Yeah. Awesome. So that was my, that's my number seven. <laughs> Christy, do you want to, yeah, you want to hit your number seven? You mean my number, apparently. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. Uh, yeah. Just, yeah. We'll give you um, a, a, a 7.5 since our, okay. my seven was your five, which you already did. Yeah, I know. I feel like a douche. Um, <laughs> Okay, then my 7.5 is Death Cab for Cutie's Plans. And I talked about that last time because I had a really hard time choosing between transatlanticism and plans. Um, And now I look back on it like transatlanticism is is more like it definitely suits the top five, but I'm glad that I put this one in my top ten because I just everything about it is so it's just it's just a good album. Um. I pretty much love anything Death Cab does. Like, it's, <laughs> we've noticed it's, anything Ben yeah. Gibbard does, apparently. Yeah, Ben Gibbard <laughs> is amazing. Um, but um, who's who's Ben Gibbard? He's the lead singer of Death, of Death Cab, and are you being funny? <laughs> he's yeah. trolling you. Not he's trolling you. He's <laughs> not actually being funny because he would have to be funny for that. How dare you? Mm. But like, if <laughs> you think right, about I it, forgot you guys are the funny ones. That's yeah. <laughs> you're the hurtful with your words one. Um, but like there's just there's so many good songs on plans that like break your heart like marching bands in manhattan was one of the most empowering songs i heard like just at the start of an album it was just just this big like beautiful swell of like lyrics and sound and then like to just like just somehow just ease your way into soul meets body like that song's amazing like, oh, God. And just, it was the harmonies. The harmonies of plans, of the songs and plans, and everything Death Gab does is just amazing. But, like, I Will Follow You Into the Dark is on this album. Your Heart is an Empty Room. Um, Crooked Teeth. Like, Brothers on a Hotel Bed. Like, just, I, I can't emphasize how emotionally, like, impactful 
like each of their each of the death cab albums are but like plans and transatlanticism were so like they just they moved you like i just said for postal service but they move you they they yeah. make you feel regardless of the fact if you want to feel you will feel something you will ben, feel then com- give is an yeah. excellent lyricist his lyrics are gorgeous yeah. and they're so unique and like he just gets he gets like um as silly as it sounds like this a, a more he has like um he has an old-fashioned version of modern love you know yeah. an old-fashioned eye on modern love i think i think like, clark gable from give up embodies that yeah, pretty well it's so good but even i will follow you into the dark like um that song you know whether it's he's i like that he talks about how if heaven hell decides if we both are satisfied and illuminate the nose on their vacancy signs like that's beautiful. If there's no one to guide you when your soul embarks, and I'll follow you into the dark. Like that's so depressingly great. <laughs> you know, don't worry. You you will never be alone because it's I will always be album. there. It is, but it's fantastic. I was gonna say this is like I just remember this being these two like Death Cab for Cutie specifically being like that like the trope codifier for like the emo like in well, whatever kind of indie rock the thing that was going on. It's kind of stuff, yeah. Uh, shoegaze yeah, is a different scene. Yeah. Yeah. Shoegaze is a British scene. Yeah. Oh. You know, Death Cab has always, and I guess Postal Service for that as well, has always just helped me, like, through emotional times. Because they don't helps, lie. Like, the, perspective. Yeah. yeah, and it, it makes it feel more like it's not, you're not, like, it sounds silly, but like you're not alone because someone else can have a different, like, beautiful perspective on these sad moments. Yeah. You know, by still keeping it real. Yeah. And I really liked that. So, um, my favorite song on this album, yeah, I think it would be, um, oh God, I don't know actually. Ugh. Crooked teeth. Probably marching bands of Manhattan. Crooked teeth yeah. is also amazing. I just. Ugh. I don't know. Soul meets body is so good. I can't choose. I can't choose. If I had to, it would be. I. If you put a gun to my head, I'd. I'd say marching bands in Manhattan, but it's just because I'd be scared and peeing my pants. And it's you know, it's a great song. It's but the first thing jumping in. Yeah. So <laughs> that's uh, that's plans. It would be my seven point five. <laughs> oh, that's so funny because my next one is like gonna be my last one now because you guys are gonna laugh. <laughs> Probably. Um. <laughs> It's gonna be Hamilton. Okay, so... No. <laughs> Thank God. Um, my number seven. Is... <laughs> Chrissy just flipped me the bird, listeners. Yep. Just so we're all visual because uh, she likes to do visual bits. Um, yeah. So my number seven is uh, Grace by Jeff Buckley. Oh, nice. Which I'm assuming. Okay, Tim knows it. Yeah. Christy, I you have to listen to this album. You will. Do love I? Yeah, no, because I this will out of anything that I will pick. Yeah, that you don't already know. This is an album you will absolutely love. Like he's got the. I agree. He may actually have the greatest fucking voice in rock music history. Like I love this guy's voice. Like he is the perfect singer. Um, Grace. Yeah. By Jeff, Jeff Buckley. Buckley. Wait, did yeah. Jeff it's Buckley do Hallelujah? Yeah, it's if the. You, yeah, he did Hallelujah. You would know this album because of his version of Hallelujah. Yeah, which is yes. like the most recognizable version of it. But the whole album is like is spectacularly good. So going back to when Tim said if you could have like one band that you would pick that you get another album from, this is my guy. 
mm-hmm. I would want this guy to be able to do another album. Unfortunately, Jeff Buckley passed away in 1997. He drowned. I remember. Yeah. Um, like before he even got a chance to finish his second record. So there is like demo versions of uh, My Sweetheart the Drunk, but you can't get the finished one because he passed away before they actually recorded the whole thing. Um, They did their best to patch together, but it's not like a finished album by any stretch of the imagination. But this one is, so Grace is like the one album he did to get to finish. It came out in 1994. Um, I didn't get into this until like, he had already passed away by the time I was handed this album. I, I remember specifically... I was working at the movie theater and one of the managers there, like it was really early on. So like around 97, 98 kind of thing. Mm-hmm. She gave me this album um, and we were always super tight. We bonded over music. Like we like the same stuff. We went to concerts together and stuff. And she handed me this album. She's like, you have to listen to this. And it was like, just blown away by this guy's voice. Like it is fucking spectacular. Like he yeah. is my favorite vocalist ever. Um, well, I mean like, I think he's got the best voice ever. I don't know if he's my favorite ever, but anyway, um so like everything on here so like everybody knows the cover of hallelujah that is like super famous and everybody recognizes and has been used in a million different places and gets used still to this day on tv constantly but like his original stuff like grace uh the song grace or last goodbye or lover you should have come over are all like spect this is a breakup album like this is a tough sit like it's a very kind of dour album too mm-hmm. but he's so he's so beautifully done um and like his whole story is just like so tragic like his father was uh, a folk singer named tim buckley who was also kind of like bordering on famous kind of thing in the 60s and when he got jeff's mom pregnant with jeff he bailed so he didn't actually know who his dad was until much later and then tim had passed away before jeff kind of got old enough to know who his dad was and then he died super young too thankfully he didn't have a kid also but like Otherwise, it'd just been like a cycle to perpetuate. But anyway, um, but this album is just like, I remember listening to it the first time and like being like, wow, this guy's really fucking talented. Like, is there more? And she's like, yeah, I have some bad news for you. And I'm like, oh shit, this is the guy who died, right? She's like, yeah. I'm like, fuck, fuck. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm but, listening to Hallelujah right now and it's, he's uh, stunning. Go, go listen to Grace and No, no, I want to listen to something I know really so I can still pay attention. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, so since then, like, this is an album that I'll force, I, I give this album, this is actually an album, this is a weird story, like a weird thing to say, but like, this is an album that I will give to people to test them as to whether we'll be compatible or not. Like, whatever, like if I start dating a girl and I'll give her this record to listen to. This in the she, national? Real upbeat. No, just this. <laughs> I, just, I always give this album. If they don't like this album, I'm like, okay, hey, this is never going to work. Cause like. You have no album, soul. Yeah. You have no soul whatsoever. So like, you should just. Um, yeah, so, like, like this is a, an album that, like, anytime I have a decent vocalist in a band, I will force them to cover songs from this record. I love this album so much. Um, I can't, like, there's not a lot to talk about, except for, like, just personal experiences with it, because there is nothing. Like, I never got the chance to see him live. Um, but it is an album that I will always go back to over and over again, because it's so beautiful. And Christy, we've completely lost Christy at this point. No, she's, she's, she's so beautiful. She's off in Shrek land. Yeah, she's in Shrek. No, this Wayne. isn't the Shrek version. That's Rufus Wainwright. Oh, yeah. He was, he, he was pretty much doing a straight cover of the Jeff Buckley version. Also, yeah, he was, he was too, like, totally doing a rip on the... On yeah. yeah, but his voice was stunning, too. Is. Uh, oh, it is. It's, no, no I, have you heard him do no, I've a heard cover? Him. I've, I've seen Rufus Wainwright. He did um, Wrapped Around Your Finger. Blew me friggin' away. Yeah, I've seen Rufus Wainwright. I don't think his voice is as good as Buckley's, but no, that's, but that's it's still a beautiful voice. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, like if you if you're, I think out of anything, 
that I would have on my list that Christy would like, this would be the one that I would get Christy to listen to the whole album of because I think yeah. she'd love it. I will um, listen to it. It's a fantastic record. Um, trying to think what else I had to say oh, about it. His voice is just so like full of like Everything. emotion. It's funny too because like if you look at like the album itself, it did not do well upon release. Like it wasn't it was one of those albums that like like in retrospect kind of gained a lot of praise, but like. Um, there's like huge names in rock music have go back and say like this is like their fa- one of their favorite albums like Jimmy Page considered Grace to be like it's probably his favorite album of the decade Robert Plant said the same very similar thing Brad Pitt has said he loves it Bob Dylan said Buckley was like one of the greatest songwriters of the past of this generation David Bowie named Grace is one of the albums he would take with him to a desert island like he was just oh. inside the industry like when he died there is a on his Wikipedia page there is a laundry list of tributes um, tributes and stuff that is as long as uh christy is tall because it's fucking massively long really because to say i'm chris that's not very long mark that's a no. bad analogy okay, yeah. sorry it's as, it's as long as i am tall then so there you, there you go, go. Um, so you made a mistake i made a mistake <laughs> i did but actually christy your beloved coldplay um this song shiver uh-huh. uh he goes like chris martin has said like that's just us stealing jeff buckley like i just ripped that oh off. well at least he admitted it yeah um who else ours has done one uh chris cornell wave goodbye on his euphoria morning album uh mm-hmm. is is a tribute to jeff buckley they were actually friends like they met while they were on tour at one point and became friends because as much as chris cornell is known for that like dark Soundgarden stuff um True. he does do the singer songwriter stuff and he has a vocal range that's very similar so like they would do mm-hmm. on solo shows he would do covers of buckley original stuff like he wouldn't do hallelujah but he would do grace or lover you should have come over and some of those versions are just like i remember seeing a video of him doing it in like 97 or 98 and he like he looks like he's about to cry because he had just lost a friend of his kind of thing and the song's so like emotionally devastating to listen to anyway um but even like to this day like lana del rey considers him an influence and stuff like that so like he's there's still people like me going on talking about him all the time so like that one album is beautiful so that's my number seven Nice. nice good pick yeah. All right. We're getting to the end. This has been a we long are. recording, even though we even, we even cut a segment out and it's still a long recording. <laughs> uh, We're all very passionate. Apparently. Yeah. And um, Christy picked too many fucking albums and that just <laughs> <laughs> At least at least we had one in common. That's true. Yeah. So number six. Uh, we're we're at the end. This is the end of this episode. I'm trying I'm like we I think we gotta go to number one, right? No, it's number six. Number six <laughs> the end. So Tim. What's your number six? Uh, I'm going to duplicate one that was in my top five, uh, and it's another Weezer album, and it's the Blue album. Okay. That's funny, because uh, we uh, Tim and I talked before the episode about repeating artists and stuff like that, and I, I, I didn't for... Because I'm a purist about that kind of shit. I was like, no, no, I can't repeat till later in the list, but you guys have both repeated already. And yeah, like, because yeah. If they're your favorite. Why wouldn't you? Uh, yeah, so... Yeah. It was debatable this... at that point, so... Yeah, I mean, when Mark and I was talking about this, this was basically came down to, like, I was looking at the other albums that I was putting in my, like, 6 to 10, and I was like, I like the Blue album more than I like any of these, so yeah. I need, it needs to go there. Um, so, yeah, it was uh, one that, that I put in at the last minute, but it is has long, long been a, a favorite album of mine. This is probably my favorite album for the majority of my high school years. Um 
and it just it's really well constructed i just like really like the sentiments of the album overall it really helped me to sort of understand that it's it's okay to be kind of awkward and weird and to like nerdy shit and that sort of thing um especially yeah especially in the garage that really helped me sort of come to terms with the stuff that i liked uh you know and that i that was sort of when i realized okay you know i don't have to be the coolest kid in school i can still you know just like what i like and still do okay um but yeah it's got an amazing fucking start like my name is jonas is an um, oh so good oh absolutely amazing song and a great uh, start to an album it's actually one that there's a uh if, if either of you guys ever come to atlanta we'll go to this band called or this uh bar called the dark horse that does live band karaoke they've got oh. about 60 or 70 songs that you can pick from uh, and they've got a couple weezer there's songs one, Sorry, there's one that does that in uh there's one that does that in in like hamilton in the gta area and i've been like yeah. i've been kind of toying with the idea of like maybe wait until you come back home and doing it but like getting the three of us like the bunch of us to go obviously you yeah. significant others could come with us yeah obviously. yeah I just don't have one, so I'd never think about that. <laughs> but it's actually the bass player from Moist is in the one here. Oh, nice! Yeah, it was really weird. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't these guys. Know Moist. Sorry, go on. No, yeah. Moist is a er, early '90s, late mid mid to late '90s. Yeah, mid 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 '90s can rock like alt rock band, um, like Silver or Push or something like that. Yeah. Resurrection. Okay. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, so they one of the songs you can do there is "My Name Is Jonas," and I did that one night, and I think it's the best like song I've ever done karaoke for because it's so much fun. It's so easy to get into, yeah. Especially when you've got a full Jonas. band behind you, like you can fucking just give her like, "My name is Wakefield." Yeah, um, this is a this is an album. It's so weird because like we I've never I've never considered Weezer like one of my favorite bands, and it, they're not even they're not anywhere in my list. Probably maybe this one will probably crop up in like the '30s or something like that. But I know this album backwards and forwards because yeah. every band I played it in like late '90s and two thousand, like early two thousands, everybody loves Weezer except for me apparently. <laughs> so I end up learning every fucking song on this album just because yeah. people be like, "Oh, I want to cover in the garage," or "I want to cover sweater song," or "I want to cover my name is Jonas," and they'll be like, "Okay, I'm just gonna have to fucking take this album and learn the whole thing." <laughs> so I can sit down behind my drum kit and you can be like, "Name whatever track," and I can play the whole fucking thing. But if you yeah. ask me to put it on, I'm like, I don't really know it that well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not like I, I can understand. It's not like a great album in terms of drums. It is a really great album in terms of guitars. Mm-hmm. Like, there's some really great, like, crunchy guitar shit on it. And that's I think that we talked about that in the last music episode. Where like I like this album the best out of Weezer's because it has that heavier influence to it. Like, mm-hmm. it is probably the crunchiest of their albums. Like Pinkerton's more. I wouldn't say crunchy, more unpolished. Whereas this yeah. one's just like straight more ahead and has like metal, like metal style guitars on it, kind of yeah. thing. So, like yeah. big overdrivey guitars, which I love. So. Yeah, but it does that over like a lot of like really great like homages to older music. Like yeah. you've got like homages to like the music and culture of like the '50s and the '60s with like Buddy Holly and Surf Wax America and that sort of thing. Um, and then I mean the sweater song is just amazing and had you know, so much reach and was just as, has been really longstanding, uh, effect, I would say, um, that one, I have another sort of vague story about, I remember doing an air band to the sweater song at, uh, at summer camp when I was in like my early teens and probably before I'd even 
heard Weezer before. Like this was that was probably my first exposure to it, and so I was just like sitting in the back and I didn't really know the song. And so, I was, but I remember we had these cutouts, these like uh, construction paper cutouts of sweaters that uh, during the chorus we would tear up. Yeah. You know, if you if you want to destroy my sweater, if you want to yeah. destroy my sweater. Yeah. Oh whoa whoa. Um. Yeah, and then Surf Surf Wax America is such a fucking awesome, like, just kick-ass, like, rocker song. Um, and you can really tell, like, the Beach Boys influence there through the whole album, but especially on this song and on um, Holiday as well. Uh, and Say It Ain't So is probably, well, I don't know. Would you What would you say is the best-known song on this album? Say It Ain't So or Sweater Song or Buddy Holly? Um... They're all pretty funny. Buddy Holly, I look just like Buddy Holly, probably because of the video. Yeah, but yeah. Like in terms the of like this video, yeah. But like, uh, "Say It Ain't So" is probably the better song. Yeah, like, for me. Anyway. I, I I would agree with that. Anyway. Yeah, I think I think "Say It Ain't So" is kind of like to me, like when somebody says Weezer, that's the song I think of first. Yeah. But it's it's yeah. debatable between those two, so. Yeah. I, I I got a little tired of Buddy Holly because of that fucking video. Actually, like I was so sick of seeing <laughs> it. That. Got a lot of play. Yeah, yeah, that song kind of wore out. And like, I feel like that because of the video and the sweater song was kind of gimmicky because of that, like the mm-hmm. uh, the clips of dialogue over top of the intro. I was yeah. like, I'm I don't really I don't really dig on that. But like, I feel like Say Ain't So is probably their best like full just like yeah. It's just good because it's a good song. It doesn't yeah. have like some other thing that kind of ties you to it. Yeah, it's the most like kind of original song on the album, probably, and most yeah. uh, I would say most like creatively strong. Um, and then only in dreams, like the last song in the album. Again, this is another pretty short album. It's ten tracks. Postal Service is also ten tracks. So my six to ten is dominated by relatively short albums, with the exception of Abbey Road, which is funny because mine is like mine is all like very expansive. Like I don't think any of them. <laughs> measure except for the national i don't think any of them are under 60 minutes and my next one is like 79 10 oh wow CD, so. <laughs> yeah yeah um but yeah only in dreams like is like an eight or nine minute like sort of rock ballad kind of thing and i'm not yeah. really big into like I, I said this earlier i'm not really big into like romantic songs and i have trouble because usually i just have trouble like identifying with them but this is one that i really identify with and that i think is really sort of awkwardly beautiful that's cool. Yeah, this would be the, this is always the Weezer album that I would if somebody says like pick a Weezer album, I'm like the blue one. Like yeah. Pinkerton's a little too like I don't know. There's something about it that like as much as I like it, I'm always like mm. I just like the straight ahead like power pop kind of feel of this first yeah. one that he gets away from so much and then eventually just like like it's he goes back to the power pop side of things, but he veers too far it's into watered it down and yeah, it's too watered down. Like this is like this is Weezer to me, and yeah. then everything else after is like Pinkerton's interesting, and then everything else after I'm like, meh, whatever. Yeah. Like, have you listened? Have you listened to much of their like B sides and uh, and that sort of stuff, Mark? No, I'm not like I'm not a Weezer connoisseur. Um, just because I don't know, they just don't. Yeah, in in the yeah, B sides and stuff like that, there's uh, and and in some of like their demos, there's a lot more stuff that sounds a lot like the Blue album. So there's some stuff in there you'd probably dig too. I have to go. Uh, I've got tons of it. A, do you have a folder or something you can dump in somewhere yeah. that I can get at? That'd be yeah, awesome. we, Weezer is the one band that like I'm like, uh, or maybe not anymore, but there was a period like 
maybe like 2000 to 2005 where they would put up like demos and live versions and stuff like that on their website. And I would just download all of them. Um, and I've got like all of like their little, you know, B sides or like stuff that they would do for like compilation albums and shit like that. So yeah, I can pop that. I have a a very similar, like giant folder of Matthew Good and T or uh, Pearl Jam stuff where it's like every live album, every time like Matt puts a demo up, I'm like, Oh, it's streaming flash and I can't save this. Well, I'm going to set up my rig so that I can record it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like that's how I am about that kind of stuff. But yeah. That's awesome. No, I like, I love this. Al- I love the album. I just, it, Weezer's just, I just, I don't know why it never clicked with me. Yeah. I feel like everybody else around me, it clicked with them. And I was just like, I just don't get it. I don't know. <laughs> I was also, I, I always got the blue album and the green album confused because I really loved the blue album. <laughs> Like, it's so good. I remember when you guys shamed me for that. You were like, what the fuck's wrong with you? And I was like, what's Because, yeah, like, if you were... See, that's the thing. That that's the age gap talking. Whereas, like, you don't see it as a big deal. But, like, we were... We lived through Weezer's, like, prime time. Yeah. So mm-hmm. to say you like the green album better than blue is, like, if you're a real Weezer fan or you were alive at the time, you're like, what the fuck? Who's, what's wrong with you? Yeah, yeah. what's Cause, wrong with you? Because the green yeah. album's just so, like, it's Weezer light, it feels like, compared to the, the blue yeah. album. So... Yeah, the Blue Album was, like, this This was a fucking, like, formative album for me in terms of, like, my musical tastes and in terms of, like, the, this was an album where, like, at a point, there was a point where I, like, started going out and being, like, okay, I need to find more music that is like this. And I yeah. did. I ended up finding, like, other bands, like uh, Phantom Planet, Jason Schwartzman's band. What, you, uh, so you didn't just immediately go and fucking buy all the Pixies albums then? Because I'm pretty sure we yeah. most of their existence. There is, the yeah, there is a lot of that too. And, uh, and like stuff oh, shit. like... I gotta move Doolittle up, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, there's another couple bands too that... Uh, well, and, and like uh, with Matt Smith... Um, no, Matt Smith? Fuck, what's Matt his Sharp. name? Matt Sharp. The, uh, the yeah, Matt Sharp. Yeah, Matt Sharp, the bass player, went off and founded The Rentals. Uh, right. afterwards and uh, I went out and got like their albums and um, one of the other guys from Weezer I think Pat uh, had like a side project called The Special Goodness and I went and dra- grabbed all their shit as well so yeah this Weezer is like the one band that I've like been a real like fanboy of I would say uh, like sort of actively as they were releasing music oh see I've got a couple of those still okay yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, number six, Christy. Uh, well, this is actually well, what's, technically... what's your, your your new number five or whatever. Is that how this is working? <laughs> or no? No, I'll said... fix it. This I'll this um not, Mumford and Sons will be eleven. Barney Glaze would be ten. Radiohead would be nine. Death Cab would be seven. And um, no, no, Radiohead would be nine or eight. No, nine. Yeah, and Death Cab would be eight. Numbers are and hard. This I next know. one would be seven and postal service would be six okay all right so we talked about postal service so this is your number seven but we fucked up because because <laughs> christy's not good at math yeah I'm christy's not. special real bad. <laughs> real bad at it's, it i honestly it's super cute like the little face you're making right now where you're kind of half biting on your fingertip because you're kind of <laughs> nervous about having screwed up it's funny as shit you do it all the time it's hilarious <laughs> Damn it! Do more, I really more, vis- yeah. more visual bits? Yeah, you, it's like you have. A, it's like a poker tell. Every time you get kind of like, "Oh, I screwed up." You do this thing where you're like, this. <laughs> "You do it all I'm the time." Trying not to do it right now. It's driving me nuts. I know, I know. I can see your hand going through your fucking like. I'll itch instead. Play with my hair. Um, so this one before I say it, 
Okay, I listened to this on repeat for years. Like, nothing else besides maybe Stunt um, was in my... uh, Probably because I didn't have many CDs. But um, this was uh, in my CD player constantly. I fell asleep to it. I woke up to it. I played it, like, all day, every day. (laughs) And it was the Lord of the Rings soundtrack to Fellowship of the (laughs) Rings. So you're a big Enya fan. That's what An excellent to soundtrack, to be to be fair. I just concerning hobbits just got me through so much. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. Oh, it was so good. It was either that or I put the Tarzan soundtrack in here, and I was like, nah, maybe not. But, um, no, it was. It goes to Lord of the Rings. It's actually up there because I. I know it so well, and like it just soothes me. It soothes my soul, and I would just dream about being in the Shire with Frodo before he went all nutso on his journey and got <laughs> stabbed and got like, you know, destroyed by the ring. And I always thought that if he came back, I could change him back. And ah, uh, I just thought about all the babies that Elijah Wood and I would make because they'd be so blue-eyed and cute, and. Also, Lord of the Rings has the most beautiful music throughout all three of the films. They're just stunning soundtracks. And um, I always, like, skipped over the one uh, with the... Uh, um, oh, my God. What are they called? The Seven... The Ring Wraiths. Yeah, the Ring Wraiths. Thank you. What's wrong with me? Um, with um... You want us to start listing those off? Because the episode's already, like, two hours and ten minutes. Yeah. No. No, it's fine. But I will stop. But um, no, it just it just got to me. It's I love it. I, w- I still listen to it. It is a phenomenal soundtrack. It is an excellent soundtrack. I'll give you that. I don't know that I've ever actually listened to it outside of like its context in the movies. So oh, Alicia's, Alicia's had it in, in her smart car for years. So yes, I'm very familiar with the music on its own outside of it's the movies. It's so good. It's so yeah, good. Yeah, see, I, I don't. Um, I know that's a thing you guys do. I know Eric does it a lot too. Or like they just like they love film. Like you guys love film scores and stuff. Maybe that's maybe I'm just talking about Eric specifically because he's always talking about that kind of yeah. stuff. I've never like I don't I can't take if you remove it from the context of the movie. I'm like I don't care anymore. Very very rarely like something really iconic. I'll be like oh that's cool like the Superman theme or like the Raiders March or something like that. Mm-hmm. But like. Mm-hmm. Just like the score to something, I'm like, I don't want to listen to this without the movie. Like, who, it's part of the movie. Like, you're taking That's it so out of the beautiful. movie. Yeah, but I don't know. If I want to listen to orchestral music, I'll just go find orchestral music. Like, I'm not really going to listen to score because it, it's part of something else kind of thing. But sometimes the scores of films are just outstandingly gorgeous. Yeah, maybe that's well... something I need to work on personally. But they usually are tracked to, like, go with the fucking movie. So Yeah. That that's my thing is like there's usually a couple like tracks that are really outstanding and are really meant to sort of feature, but for every one of those, there's five tracks that are just like basically backing tracks. Yeah, just like strings playing long yeah. fucking sustained notes or something yeah. like that, and yeah. not in the cool way like the Joker in the Dark Knight, but like yeah. just sing songy kind of way. Yeah. So usually on soundtracks, like you know, f- I'll keep maybe ten or. 10 or maybe maximum like 20% of the actual songs on a soundtrack if I download it. Fair enough. Yeah, well, that's fair. But that's my uh, number six. <laughs> All right. No, 
No, my number seven. Your number, number seven. seven. Your number six is give up. Because you should. Because you can't fucking count. Boom. That's rough. That's right. Mike dropped. We're going to have to adjust for the next episode next time we do that. <laughs> yeah. Christy doesn't Christy doesn't get a number 11 next time. Christy, Christy's going to have to remember that unless, she doesn't unless, actually. Unless oh, she no. doesn't want to talk about Mumford and Sons, Sons again. I will have to cut out a, so, a an actual song in like 15 minutes of talking in an episode that's going to be about two and a half hours long. Oh, no. <laughs> I'll be able to cut lots of this out. Don't worry about it. I got to figure it out. Um... <laughs> So my number seven, my number six, Jesus, <laughs> number seven. Now I'm fucking. Ah! Yeah, yeah. Uh, my number six is Tools Lateralis. Um, so, Tim, I like. I always like getting that reaction from Tim. He gets this face and then he no, goes I'm, away, like he just eaves no, off. I'm I'm not surprised. No. Um, so this is kind of like where I get into heavy music. Um, it kind of like was the album that made it okay for me to like heavy music. And we were talking before about like bands that I had to like get through the videos to get into. Tools like the ultimate example of that. These videos, all their videos were always everywhere. Not for this album, but like for the uh, the previous two. And like, I did not like that weird, creepy stop motion vibe that they kept doing in almost mm-hmm. every video. And I couldn't get past it to just listen to the music. And it wasn't until Lateralis that I finally kind of forced myself into it. And this is where a lot of my like segging off into kind of progressive, long form, heavy music um, is starts. Because when I first listened to this record, I was like, this thing's 79 minutes long, and it's only about, I think it's 13 tracks total. So it's just like long seven, eight-minute songs with segment like segues in between them kind of thing. Um, it almost moves around like like a big suite. Like it's almost an album you have to listen to on like as an album because it's just packed together that way and just flows from song to song kind of naturally. But um, I remember this album coming out, um, it came out in 2001 and we had gone to Edgefest that summer up in Barrie. And for mm-hmm. some reason, it's July 1st, right? It was Canada Day. Like, this, like they call it the Canada Day thing. So like every year it was Edgefest. We go up to, we all drive up to Molson Park and um, go see whoever was playing. It's usually like Matthew Good Tea Party were playing in the afternoon or something like that. And you'd have a big headliner. And 2001 was Tool. And it was before Lateralis came out. But for some fucking reason that night, like when the sun went down, Molson Park, the fucking temperature plummeted to like just above zero. Like it was like two or three degrees, like oh. in the like in the field in the middle of Molson Park. So like the day had been like <laughs> boiling hot, and everybody's just wearing shorts and t-shirts and stuff like that. And tools coming out, the sun has gone down, and all of a sudden I'm looking around and like the girls that were with us, like my girlfriend and like anybody, I think Eric was with us too. Um, blue fucking lips because they're all wearing pretty much like short shorts and flip flops oh, and like God. a tank top to be out at an all-day festival right and i'm okay because i'm a big dude so i'm like i'm fine and they're like we want to go like we're freezing it out i'm like i really want to see tool because everybody's been talking about tool coming back because they had this huge protracted legal battle with their label before lateralis came out so it was five years between anima coming out in 96 and like lateralis coming out and everybody was all hyped up about this so they came out and played, and by the time we got all these girls and stuff back to the hotel room, I think at least one of them had hypothermia from staying oh my gosh. out. Cold. And I was like, now I feel kind of bad, but I really wanted to see Tool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but when the album came out, I was like, this is fucking impenetrable. Like, it's such a dense album. It's really hard to listen to the first time. Um, but as you listen to it, like, like keep getting into it. It's it just kind of opens itself up to you. It's like a puzzle box of an album, like where you have to kind of sit there and pick at it to figure out where you're going with it and stuff like that. 
but like these guys are master musicians like the drummer from tool is one of the guys that like i look to and would love to be able to say like he's an influence on me but he's so fucking good i can't do half the shit he does like (laughs) i don't understand how he does anything um and this is also like manor james keenan's the singer and like if i think if i thought you would be able to get past the instrumental side like the heaviness of this christy i would say like go listen to him the guy's trained to sing opera like he's a like classically yeah. trained vocalist he's, he's, he's an amazing like i'm not the hugest tool fan but i will admit that uh maynard is a fucking outstanding vocalist yeah he's an okay. amazing vocalist there is a like right on the top of the album in the grudge he has like the ultimate like death metal scream and it goes on for 45 fucking seconds like it's like this on in, one like, breath on one Are breath, like, this jaw-dropping scream, like growl that goes on for like half a minute, and it just lets loose, and it's like it's amazing. That just makes me think of—I know I shouldn't, but like Jack Black in that song, that he does all oh. the in- inward, inward singing. Yeah. yeah. I'm thinking more though what's the one song he does? I do not need a microphone. Oh yeah. yeah. My voice is fucking powerful. Yeah. Uh Maynard's definitely that. Like he's so fuck like his vocals. Alright, okay. So if you can get through it, just listen to The Grudge and just listen for that fucking scream. Um, it's a pretty heavy song and it's fairly long, but like around the five minute mark, he lets out this like fucking death howl that goes five on for god damn. Yeah, it's a seven minute, eight minute song. Hold on. Uh, the Grudge is eight minutes, 36 seconds long. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So like the actual songs on this album, like, so The Grudge, The Patient, uh, schism uh the parable parabola like duology schism is probably my favorite tool song yeah um that's oh, a good song ticks and leeches and like the, the self-titled like the the title track and then a couple of the other like there's this weird suite most of them are all above seven minutes long like if you combine parable and parabola they rig out to like nine minutes um lateralis itself is like nine minutes nine and a half minutes um, the album ends with a three-track kind of like sweet thing called Disp- it's disposition, reflection, and triad, and like it's four minutes forty-five seconds, eleven minutes and ten seconds, and eight minutes and forty-seven seconds, all just kind of jammed together. Wow! It's so long that like when they put the album out on vinyl, they had to rearrange the track order, and it fucked it up. <laughs> so like I have a vinyl copy of it that that doesn't seg properly, and all these songs seg naturally into each other because it's just kind of written as one big suite of, of music. But um, yeah, it's a it, it's a pretty dense sit for somebody who's not into this. But this is what got me to like go off and like I saw ISIS for the first time, not the fucking terrorist group, the band they were opening for um, Tool, and I saw them that way. Mastodon's the same thing. They got me. I got into them this way. The Deftones. The reason why like I picked they picked up steam with me is because Maynard was on White Pony. Um, who else? Mike Patton's band Tomahawk opened for them on the Lateralis tour. Um, so he was like. That's how I got into them. Um, so all the stuff that I listen to that's on the heavier side of stuff, kind of like, yeah. I kind of started like, I mean, I always start with Pearl Jam and then kind of move out and Tool kind of was tangentially connected because they all knew each other. But like, okay. Tool's where like, I get into metal, like get into that progressive side of metal. Um, okay. I've yeah. listened to some Tool. Yeah. And some of it, like you would know Stink Fist or you would know like Prison Sex or something Gross like that. names. I know. But like, 
it's all it's all dink fist it's all metaphor for other stuff that's the whole thing about tools like they just like fucking with their fan base too like they love trolling their fan base when they put this album out before they put it out um they put out an article saying like oh we're putting out this album and it's going to be called and i have it up so i can just cut this out um so they, they're yeah it's called sistema encephala encephala and provided 12 track list with titles like so they had titles like river christ number f uh encephalitis music with a k at the end and like that kind of stuff so they just announced this track list not even the real thing what happened was like they dumped a whole bunch of files on napster that were okay. all just bullshit and noise so that people <laughs> thought they had leaked the new tool album and this is, this is the kind of stuff they love doing. Like, like, they're they're like, downloading it. People are being freaking like, out. I, I, probably, I probably downloaded it too because I was like, fuck, I don't want the new Tool album, right? Um, I remember the same manager that uh, I worked with at the theater that got me into Jeff Buckley. I, we were working a closing shift at the theater one night and I was like, oh, the Tool album came out today. But Sam, the record man was already closed in the mall because oh. it was like 9 o'clock. She's like, there was, a, there was a video store up the street called That's Entertainment. She's like, okay, no, uh, I'm going to give you 20 bucks. And you're gonna go and buy us each a copy of that fucking album. So we went. I went out, bought two copies of the Tool album, but that's Entertainment. Drove <laughs> back to the theater, and we just sat in the office for the rest of the night, just like rocking out to this 79 minute like alternative metal fucking opus that like was the first. That's time amazing. It. it was crazy, yeah. And I remember one of the other managers coming in, like sitting there looking at the two of us, just like you guys are fucking like just skids, like just. <laughs> so that's the thing about. That's my sort of perception of Tool fans is that they're like there's a stark dichotomy. There's like the intellectual Tool fans that really like fucking get it and appreciate it, and yeah. then there's the other half that are basically just fucking juggalos. Yeah, I agree. No, and the, the Tool fan base, <laughs> the Tool fan base is like I don't even I can't even begin to identify with them. And you know how you avoid you know how you avoid Tool fans? Uh, yeah, they're they're wearing a Tool shirt, so you just stay away from them. Like, they are the guys who wear Tool shirts to the concert. Like yeah. when you go see Tool, oh, there is an army of guys in like jeans and a black Tool T-shirt. You just They're don't looking talk to for those a guys. fight. Yeah, ostensibly <laughs> looking for a fight. And so everybody else who just like likes like I just like it because I like the music. I think they're fucking spectacular musicians, and I'll watch Danny yeah. Carey play anything because he's fucking ridiculously talented drummer. Yeah. Um, I'll just yeah I go for that kind of stuff. But yeah, okay. half, half the fan base is just these fucking goons. And so Tool loves fucking with them so much. So they do constant stuff. There was a thing in 2006 or something like that, right around when 10,000 Days was going to come out, where they announced on the website that Tool that uh, Maynard had found Jesus and was leaving the band. <laughs> so he just, just like just to be dicks. Just to be dicks, right? A week, <laughs> like, and the whole world freaks out. Like there was all kinds of all of the alternative like music press, like Pitchfork. Everybody like was like, okay, Tool's done. Tool broke up, and they were just about to put this album out. So they're not touring Ten Thousand Days. Nobody even knows that the album's coming out. He comes back like two days later. He's like, "Oh no, I was talking about my gardener. He's Mexican. His name is Jesus. We went. He, was <laughs> he got lost in my vineyard because he owns a vineyard. <laughs> He's like, he yep. got lost out and was sleeping out in the field. Oh, God, <laughs> I did. What I said, I found, like, I sent a text saying I found Jesus. People Jesus. read it as I found Jesus and was leaving. So... <laughs> That's <laughs> they amazing. Like they just do shit like this all the time. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, they're fucking funny, but." Uh, the music is not like doesn't have that. Well, there is some cheeky shit in the more in Anima than in Lateralis. Lateralis is a little bit more like direct and kind of like darker. But Anima's got some stuff where there's like a, a song called Third Eye that is cut interspersed with bits from Bill Hicks' stand-up routines and stuff like that. Okay. It's really interesting if you're into like 
if you can get get into the music of it, like get into the heaviness of it, it's interesting to listen to. So I feel like I'm selling it to Christy more than anything. Well, I'm feeling Tim, it. I'm feeling it. I know Tim will kind of like be like, oh, no, I probably listened to it before. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I feel like with Christy would be like, oh, Jesus, this sounds like horrifying death metal shit. I don't want to hear this. <laughs> with Tool, That's like not it's not it's not my favorite style of music, I but I can definitely appreciate the, the musicianship. Like they're yeah. all just amazing, amazingly talented on you know their instruments or vocalists or whatever. Yeah, I love posting little videos because they always like Danny likes to do drum cams, and I like it because like half the time the flash video or the YouTube video or the shitty webcam he's got set up to do that can't even keep up with his fucking hands as he's doing stuff, <laughs> and I'm like, what's the fucking this, point, dude? This like, is useless. Not... Yeah, yeah, you got to shoot at sixty frames per second in 1080p for me to be able to see what the <laughs> fuck you goddamn monster. So. Yeah. You goddamn monster! No, he is. He's <laughs> fucking brilliant. He's so funny. Um, okay, so that's that's it. That's our, I guess, six through ten kind of albums. Thanks to Christie's little. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, snafu. Little, little, little snafu. So the next time we do this, I'll have to remember to tell Christie to order her stuff properly. <laughs> Maybe they won't remember. Well, I'll I mean, we, we it, could, so. you know, we could give her a week's notice next time. Oh wait, we did. Oh wait, and we, then did. She forgot. Yeah, we did. And then she forgot. Oh, <laughs> hilarious! You got nothing. That's, I got nothing. That's all That's I have to exactly say. Exactly what oh, happened. Oh, you guys! <laughs> you guys! I totally did do that. You're right. <laughs> I did it. When you sent me that message tonight, like the eye roll I sent you in the chat was. A little bit different from my actual reaction. We're like, "Fuck, <laughs> God damn it again!" I'm sorry. I told you a, a week ago we were doing this. I know I'm a fool. All right, all right. <laughs> uh, I guess that's it. So, thanks for listening to us this week, guys. Uh, we hope you enjoyed listening as much as we seem to enjoy recording these. Um, <laughs> you... <laughs> if so, uh, if you can give us a like at our Facebook, we're Facebook.com/slash Dance Robot Dance podcast or on twitter at drd underscore podcast well you can subscribe to us on the google play store itunes or stitcher or anywhere else you get your podcast from apparently there's a million different places now um again <laughs> thanks and uh this has been tim say goodbye oh goodbye christy goodbye. goodbye and i'm mark uh have a good night guys <laughs>